This is Commission President Ryan Calkins convening the special meeting of November 29th, 2022. The time is 10.34 a.m. We're meeting in person today at snow-covered Seattle-Tacoma International <laughs> Airport Conference Center and virtually via Microsoft Teams. Present with me today are Commissioners Cho, Felleman, Hasegawa, and Muhammad, who are currently gathered in the executive session room awaiting the opening of the public meeting. Uh, Commissioner Muhammad, I believe, is, is calling in virtually, correct? She is, yes, that is correct. We'll now recess into the executive session to discuss two items regarding litigation or potential litigation or legal risk per RCW 4231101I for approximately 40 minutes and we'll reconvene into public session at noon. Commissioner Muhammad will not be participating in the first discussion and will be joining for the second discussion. Thank you. This is Commission President Ryan Calkins reconvening the special meeting of November 29th, 2022. The time is 12.08. PM. We're meeting in person today at Seattle Tacoma International Airport Conference Center and virtually via Microsoft Teams. Clerk Hart, can you please call the roll of all commissioners in attendance? Yes, thank you. Beginning with Commissioner Cho? Present. Thank you. Commissioner Fellman? Present. Thank you. Commissioner Hasegawa? Present. Thank you. Commissioner Mohammed joining virtually? I'm on. Thank Present. you, Commissioner. We can hear you clearly. And Commissioner Calkins? I'm here as well. Thank you. We do have a full quorum here today. Thank you, Clerk Hart. Due to the continued virtual component of participation for our meetings, we have staff, external presenters, and members of the public who may be participating on their personal devices or from their phones today. We've made arrangements to accommodate this virtual format. Later, we'll take public comment on items related to the conduct of the port from people who are participating by teams, as well as from those in person who have signed up to speak. All votes today will be taken by the roll call method since there is a virtual component to the meeting, so it is clear for anyone participating virtually how votes are cast. Commissioners will say aye or nay when their name is called. To be equitable, I ask that all commissioners wait to be recognized before speaking. We are meeting on the ancestral lands and waters of the Coast Salish people with whom we share a commitment to steward these natural resources for future generations. This meeting is being digitally recorded and may be viewed or heard at any time on the port's website and may be rebroadcasted by King County Television. Please stand and join us for the Pledge of Allegiance. The first item of business today is approval of the agenda. Uh, Commissioner Muhammad, would you like to reorder agenda item 10B? Commissioner Muhammad? Okay, I'm gonna assume that she still does wanna reorder that. So uh, we're gonna, Reorder the agenda to have item 10D heard after item 10F um, because she is recused from voting on item 10D. She will exit the meeting at that time. Is there any objection to this reorder? Hearing none, item 10D will be reordered to be heard after item 10F. Also, item 8H will be pulled from the agenda at the request of staff and will be brought forward at a later date. Are there any other items to be pulled from the consent agenda or any other motions to rearrange the orders of the day? All right, commissioners, the question is now- Chair, I was having some technical 
Chair Hawkinson. Sorry, I was having some technical difficulties. I do agree with that. Thank you so much. You bet. Thanks, Commissioner Mohammed. Commissioners, the question is now on approval of the agenda. Is there a motion to approve the agenda as amended? So moved. I'll second. The motion has been made and seconded. Is there any objection to approval of the agenda as amended? Hearing none, the agenda is approved as amended. Next on our agenda is the Executive Director's Report. Executive Director Metric, you have the floor. You're muted. There we go. Uh, commissioners, good afternoon. <clears throat> I'd like to begin my remarks by hoping that everyone had a great uh, and safe Thanksgiving holiday um, and then returning to work uh, this week. I also hope that everyone is, was able to observe Native American Heritage Day as well. This season is about giving thanks, so I want to start by thanking all of the Port of Seattle employees and partners who kept our gateways operating over the busy holiday weekend and, in fact, are working today as we face some of the first snow accumulation of the year. The numbers are in for the holiday travel period of Friday, November 18th through Sunday after Thanksgiving, November 27th. The number of passengers screened through the TSA checkpoint increased from 10% from last year and was 7% below the 2019 volumes pre-pandemic, with this past Sunday alone seeing over 55,000 travelers. Despite these volumes, I'm happy to say that the Seattle-Tacoma International Airport escaped the bad weather conditions that canceled and delayed thousands of flights over the holiday weekend, impacting travelers. During the 10-day holiday period, there were only 38 flight, flight cancellations at SEA, representing 0.4% of flights. Nearly 84% of scheduled flights at SEA arrived on time and departed on time. Congratulations to everyone at SEA who helped facilitate the strong operational performance. There are so many other things we at the port have to be thankful for, and that list is too long to run through here. So for now, I'd like to keep it simple and express gratitude on behalf of the entire executive leadership team to all port staff, our customers, business, and community partners for a successful year. Speaking of successes, I returned to the executive director's chair after a few weeks of highly valuable travel time to the United Nations uh, Conference of Parties COP27 climate conference in Sharm el-Sheikh, Egypt, followed by international leadership mission to Japan. It was great that several commissioners were able to part of the, be to, or able to be part of those trips as well. In terms of the COP27, our presence was an excellent opportunity to increase overall awareness of the Port of Seattle's sustainability efforts. We appreciate the Department of State including us in the U.S. delegation. There's a growing global momentum around aviation and maritime decarbonization and a strong interest from governments and private sector to collaborate further. The Port had five speaking opportunities over the two weeks, including <clears throat> the announcement of the Green Shipping Challenge where NWSA Busan Green Corridor study was shared by Commissioner Cho. We also made many new con con connections, particularly with key federal agencies that we look forward to following up on. The conference reaffirmed the important role that ports have in this work and the need for us to be active at these different levels, uh, at these different global levels. In terms of Japan, it was wonderful to see the regional leaders from the Seattle business community on this, on this trip. The Mayor of Seattle and so many others connecting with each other, and there was good conversation about new ideas learned from our Japanese partners to bring back and, and look at for implementation here in Seattle. 
Our strategy to focus on several uh, topics and go a little deeper was a success, in my opinion, in particular high-speed rail, hydrogen alternative fuels, resiliency, and disaster preparedness. There are continued opportunities to work with our peer ports around the globe to make progress in some of our highest priority goals. And finally, it was quite special to be able to celebrate the 55th anniversary of our sister port relationship with the Port of Kobe. I look forward to sharing a more detailed readout on the many connections, learnings, and potential opportunities for collaboration that uh, resulted from these trips. And I know commissioners who participated had shot, uh, thoughts to share as well. But I also want to make a shout out to uh, Karen Zog Black, who did a, a great uh, on the Port of Seattle staff and her effort not just for the port to support us at the Port of Seattle, but the entire leadership mission to Japan uh, to do that. And I greatly appreciate her efforts uh, to do that. And I know she did it. It was a labor of love for her, but it was something that uh, really made all of our work uh, really successful. And I thank her for that. While I was away the past few weeks, the port held its annual Charles Blood Champion of Diversity and Inclusion Award. The commission established the Charles Blood Champion of uh, Diversity Award in September, 20, uh, or, or September 2000. It is named for Mr. Charles Blood, a leader who was, who was devoted to issues of inclusion throughout his tenure of more than 30 years with the port. The award is given annually to a current employee or team that embodies the port's diversity commitments and values. So I'd like to have the commission join me in congratulating this year's recipient of the Charles Blood Champion of Diversity Award, Nick Longo of the Aviation Planning Department. I don't think Nick is here with us today, but uh, I'd like to um, just give our thanks to, uh, congratulations to Nick on his award. During his term on the Diversity and Development Council, Nick led discussions on issues of, about all gender bathrooms, salary equity, and the recognition and inclusion of transgender employees and customers of the port in the delivery of the port's first transgender 101 training. Nick is a founding member of the port's transgender inclusion work group, which drafted the port's gender identity policy and continues to work to make the port a welcoming workplace. He is also a leader of the port's employee resource group for immigrants and refugees, VOICE, which provides a welcoming and safe place for people of all identities. Congratulations to Nick and all other nominees for this year's award. Your commitment, Nick's commitment to this important work is what makes the port a model for equity, diversity, and inclusion. Lastly, before moving to items on today's commission meeting agenda, I want to advise that you, advise you that the, F, the FAA, the Federal uh, Aviation Administration, and the port have determined that additional time is needed to complete the National Environmental Policy Act, or NEPA, analysis for the Airport Sustainable, uh, Airport Sustainable Master Plan, or SAMP near-term projects, and have updated the schedule to publish the draft NEPA environmental assessment by late 2024. Due to delays from COVID and other factors, the proposed opening of the near-term projects has shifted from 2027 to 2032, and the analysis of this new date will continue. We'll, we will reach out to key stakeholders and make sure that they're aware of this extension to the schedule and of this important effort and continue the work on the environmental review. As noted, when we develop the SAMP, the Central Puget Sound region is expected to grow by another 1 million by 2035. SEA is an essential transportation resource serving as the primary air transportation facility for the region. The purpose of the near-term projects in the master plan are to improve operational efficiency, 
accommodate future growth and to provide more capacity for fuel, including sustainable aviation fuel. We will continue with the environmental review, meeting federal and state requirements, and continue to keep the Commission advised. Moving to today's Commission meeting, I'd like to highlight a few items. Uh, number one is the budget. Today is the, second meeting, uh, is, is the second reading for the Port's 2023 budget, five-year capital improvement plan and plan of finance. I'll have more to say on this topic when we get to that point in the agenda. However, thank you to everyone that has worked so hard over the past six months and probably farther back than six months to get us to this today's final vote. I truly believe we are walking the talk with our proposed budget in terms of making the investments that align with our mission, vision, and operational needs, all while balancing short-term priorities with a long-term strategy for success. I'll have more to say when I introduce the item. I, under item 10F, we'll be introducing a resolution to modify the delegation of responsibility and authority, which lays out the roles and responsibilities uh, responsibilities allocated by the Commission to the Executive Director. The de delegation was last updated 13 years ago. This modification will increase purchasing power, create efficiency, and maintain transparency. Uh, I again will have more to say about this during the introduction of the item. You will also be approving the 2023 allocation for environmental reme reme remediation liabilities. This routine authorization allows the port to continue cleaning up legacy contamination for our properties. The bulk of the legacy contamination is the result of past owners' operation on the, on the property the port has purchased to support industrial use of the properties. The cleanups help, help put contaminated properties back into industrial use that supports job growth and also allows development of parks and habitat sites. This work is performed under legal agreements and oversight by the federal and state regulators and is a core part of our efforts to improve the environment and the health and quality of the life of our Nearport communities. Finally, under item 11A, you'll hear about our art team, hear from our art team on their accomplishments in 2022 as well as look forward for 2023. Commissioners, this concludes my remarks. Thank you. Thank you, Executive Director Metric. Uh, I'm going to take um, Chair's prerogative here and, and share one other additional bit of news that impacts so many members of our community, and that is uh, a bill that's working its way through the U.S. Senate today and is expected to pass and then go over to the House for final vote and then be on the President's desk by the end of the week, and that's the uh, Same-Sex Marriage Act, which will repeal the Defense of Marriage Act uh, from, I believe, the late 90s and ensure that, that the right of the members of our community, the LGBTQ+, members of our community can marry who they want to marry. And uh, we know now that it's really important to codify that into federal law so that no future court could ever take that away from them. Uh, and so congratulations to everyone who's worked for that, uh, for those of us with neighbors, coworkers, friends, community members, loved ones, family, uh, who will um, be covered by this new law. I'm, I'm super excited. Uh, and, and as a port, as a welcoming port, we're really excited for our coworkers and others who um, finally uh, can rest assured that that is um, settled law. Uh, with that, I'm going to turn it over to Erica Chung, who is going to give a committee report. Good afternoon, President Calkins and Commissioners. I have two reports for you today. Uh, Commissioners Fellowman and Hasegawa convened the Portwide Arts and Culture Board on Wednesday, November 9, where members were introduced to Daphne Maiden, college intern who is interning for another year. Members were also briefed on conservation projects, upcoming installations, art opportunities at the airport and Fisherman's Terminal, 
collaboration youth art project with Port External Relations and temporary Schmidt Ocean Institute exhibit at Pier 66 and Pier 69. Member discussed how to support artists who are small businesses to better understand the RFP process, the importance of staff being involved early in the capital improvement uh, design and planning so that art and wayfinding placement are integrated in the design process and syncing art with relevant cultural events or Heritage Month to further highlight diverse art and artists. Members um, asked staff to include the Emerald City art on the next board agenda so members can better understand the issues. Members also agreed to site visits of the airport and Fisherman's Terminal. Highline Forum held its last meeting of the year on November 16th. SeaTac uh, Deputy Mayor Negusi graciously chaired the meeting with Commissioner Hasegawa traveling and with community co-chair unavailable. The Highline Forum received three presentations. The first presentation was an update on the Puget Sound Gateway Program uh, states Gateway Pro Puget Sound Gateway Program State Route 509 Extension Project. The second presentation was an update from Sound Transit on projects in South King County, including the Federal Way Link Extension Project, ST Ride Bus Rapid Transit, and the proposed South Operations and Maintenance Facility. The Federal Way Link Expansion Project is delayed a year. The stations at Kent Des Moines, Kent, Des Moines Star Lake, and Downtown Federal Way will now open in late 2025. The third presentation was an update on START by Claire Gallagher, who is standing in for Aviation Manager uh, Managing Director uh, Lance Little. She noted that after completing uh, completion of the ground noise study and review of the topic of reverse thrust by START's noise working group, the full START recommended a change in language to the airport's master record to discourage the use of reverse thrust beyond what is needed for operational or safety reasons. This change will help reduce ground noise experienced by the neighboring communities. These changes can also be used, uh, can, can, also, can only be made by, voluntarily by airlines. So a great deal of appreciation has been expressed for Alaska Airlines, Delta Airlines, and the FAA, FAA in working to facilitate the change. Lastly, a solicitation was made for a new community co-chair for 2023, and Mayor Matt Mahoney has graciously graciously stepped up to serve in that capacity. This concludes my report. Thank you. Any uh, questions from commissioners on the committee reports? Commissioner Fellman? I really appreciate, as always, your summary and stuff. And one thing you did raise that I, I would just like to highlight for the executive team and that, um, you know, we, we have this growing robust art program because of the increasing of the percentage for uh, construction and the the comment made that this should be done early design where it should be done earlier the 30% perhaps design I, I just wanted to note that um, one of the things I'm very proud of is that we have that little green leaf now in the at the 30% design for construction whether we're going to do additional environmental work on our major projects and I'm just suggesting that maybe we need to put a little paintbrush at that place too where we need to look at this question of integrating the art into the design, um, given how much robust it is. And this way it makes it less ad hoc and you know, predictable so that the folks working on those construction projects uh, don't, need, don't get surprised later on in the process. So but thank you for raising that. I just think it could be somewhat more formalized. Thank you, Commissioner Fellman. Anything further, Erica? 
All right, I'm going to turn it back over to Steve for one final comment. Yeah, I just wanted to add about the, uh, thanks, Commissioner. Uh, thanks, Commissioner. I just want to add additional things about the logistics and, and uh, the commitment from the commissioners to make uh, those events happen, both at the COP and uh, in Japan. And uh, I just wanted to say also, I, we talked about uh, Commissioner Cho there, but it was uh, Commissioner Mohammed who actually, I saw her as I was leaving about 2 a.m. and she was arriving at 2 a.m. to give the handoff to participation in the further uh, represent our positions there at the COP and then uh, Commissioners Hasegawa and uh, a fellow man in uh, Japan on that leadership trip and, and really the commitment from, from all the commissioners to, to those I think has really advanced our work, our learning, our understanding, my understanding and uh, advanced our work as well. So I just wanted to recognize that as well. And, and indicative of the work that staff has been doing and, and executive leadership uh, to put the Port of Seattle at the forefront of these efforts. It's truly remarkable. All right, we are now at the public comment section of our agenda. The Port Commission welcomes public comment as an important part of the public process. Comments are received and considered by the Commission in its deliberations. Uh, as a reminder, comment time will be limited to two minutes per person. Clerk Hart, uh, do we have any speakers today? We do not, Mr. Commission President. Okay, I'm going to give an opportunity for anybody present here or on virtually via Teams uh, to indicate if you're interested in speaking. Okay. Uh, at this point, uh, Clerk Hart, can you please uh, give us a, a synopsis of written comments? Also, no written comments, Mr. We, Commissioner. We should do these meetings at the end of the month more often, I think. <laughs> well, all right. Hearing no further public testimony, we'll move to the consent agenda. Items on the consent agenda are considered routine and will be adopted by one motion. Items removed from the consent agenda will be considered separately immediately after adoption of the remaining consent agenda items. At this time, the chair will entertain a motion to approve the consent agenda covering items 8A, B, C, D, E, and G. So moved. Seconded. The motion was made and seconded. And with that, commissioners, please say aye or nay when your name is called. Beginning with Commissioner Cha. Aye. Thank you. Commissioner Fellerman. Aye. Thank you. Commissioner Hasegawa. Aye. Thank you. Commissioner Mohammed. Aye. Thank you. Commissioner Calkins. Aye. Thank you. Five ayes, zero nays for this item. And with that, the consent agenda passes. We have six new business items today. If there is no objection, items 10A and 10B will be consolidated for voting purposes, meaning one motion, one vote to adopt the package. No objections? All right. Clerk Hart, please read the first item into the record. We'll then hear from Executive Director Metric to introduce the item. Thank you. This is agenda item 10A and 10B. Adoption of resolution number 3805, a resolution adopting the final budget of the Port of Seattle for the year 2023, making, determining, and deciding the amount of taxes to be levied upon the current assessment roll, providing payment of bond redemptions and interest, cost of future capital improvements and acquisitions, and for such general purposes allowed by law which the Port deems necessary and directing the King County Council as to the specific sums to be levied on all of the assessed properties of the Port of Seattle District in the year 2023. And again, accompanying agenda item 10B, adoption of resolution 3806, the resolution of the Port of Seattle Commission, 
specifying the dollar and percentage change in the regular property levy from the previous year per RCW 84.55.120, providing for an increase of the levy from $81,036,634 to $82,657,367. Commissioners, after months of commission meetings, community forums, internal discussions, incorporating feedback, and uh, input from yourself and all these other stakeholders, you heard the first reading of the port's proposed 2023 budget, five-year capital improvement plan and plan of finance at your November 9th meeting. Today's action is your second and final vote for approval. As I mentioned in the past, the theme of this year's budget is historic investments that deliver for people in the planet. Ensuring that the port can continue to support key industries, lead on environmental sustainability, and serve the people who rely on the port even in uncertain times. Investment highlights include a five-year capital plan of $5.3 billion, the largest in the port's history, as well as increased funding for airport customer service, environmental programs, community initiatives, and workforce development. A rebound in travel has allowed the port to increase reinvestments in its business. Passenger volume at Seattle-Tacoma International Airport rose to nearly 90% of 2019 record levels, while cruise ship passenger volume exceeded historic highs by 6%. At the same time, severe inflation, international conflict, supply chain issues, a tight labor market, surging travel and trade demand, and climate change impacts have brought new challenges to our community, workforce, port lines of business, and partners. One part of the budget that I'm most proud of is our proposed investments in the port's workforce to ensure that our staff are safe, trained, and resourced, and ready for the work ahead. To that end, the proposed 2023 budget makes a larger investment in people and programs than any budget in recent years. After pandemic-related hiring freezes, the port adds full-time employees and contractors to improve customer services and advance initiatives in all port divisions. The proposed 2023 budget also invests an additional $2.5 million in community initiatives for a total of 19.1 million. Total estimated operating revenue, revenues will be 953.7 million, and a total of projected operating expenses are, are projected to be 573.4 million. Finally, the proposed 2023 tax levy is 82.7 million, a 2% increase from 2022. We are proposing a 2% increase in the levy each year for the next five years, which will help us keep pace with inflation. Keep pace with inflation. This proposed tax levy is expected to result less than, in less than a $1 increase in the tax bill to the median homeowner in King County. So, Commissioners, uh, rather than do a whole presentation, I have Dan Thomas, our Chief Financial Officer, Chief Financial Officer, and Michael Tong, Director of Corporate Budget here, and uh, Dan is going to make some remarks, and then we'll be available to answer any questions if there are. Dan. Thank you, Steve, and good afternoon, Commissioners. You do have the presentations in your packet, but as Steve mentioned, we're not going to walk through them since we did that during first reading. But I wanted to make a couple of comments. Um, first and foremost, I wanted to mention that per uh, Commissioner Fellman's request at first reading, uh, originally we had scheduled to release the final budget document on December 15th. And Commissioner Feldman asked if we could look at trying to accelerate that. So I'm pleased to announce that we are now targeting next Monday, December 5th, uh, to get that out. It might be a day or two after that, but that's that's the target date. So we had worked to uh, 
released that document earlier <clears throat> than mid-December. So thank you, Commissioner Fellman, for that request. And then I also wanted to mention, you should have received a, a, a memo from uh, Executive Director Metric uh, regarding a planned increase in the customer facility charge, which is charged to rental car companies that fund the uh, expenses and capital for the consolidated rental car facility. Uh, that rate will increase, and this was based on a consultation with airport staff and the rental car companies operating at the rental car uh, consolidated facility. And the recommendation is to increase that rate effective January 1st from $7 a transaction day to $7.25 a transaction day. That will raise about $1.4 million in additional CFC revenue for the airport. Um, the, the consultation with the rental car companies occurred in late October, so we did not have enough time uh, to uh, get that into the budget system and documents. So it's not currently reflected in the budget, but again, it's a large, small dollar amount. Uh, airport staff is going to work to try to schedule those meetings with the rental car companies a bit earlier next year so we can be sure that if there are any changes to the CFC rate, we can incorporate that into the budget. So just want to make sure you're aware of that. Um, so that's my only comments, and we'd be happy to answer any questions. All right, and I'll now entertain questions or comments from commissioners. Commissioner Fellman. Um, anyway, thank you very much, Dan, for uh, accelerating that process. I do want to note that the, the port also produces the budget in brief, which I think is even more important for the general public to understand the good work that we do. And that um, I think the city council just passed their budget yesterday. Um, and, you know, it makes a bit of news. I mean, I really think that that budget in brief would be really uh, useful to get to the reporters so that mm. they may note that, you know, especially with the airport, so many people know the experience of this airport and the needs for its growth. And so I, I'm still always amazed that our significant budget that you do so beautifully still doesn't make any, any, any news. But I do think, you know, in light of the growth at the airport and at the seaport, I, I think it's important for the public to understand that um, while these are regional assets that we all benefit from, the, the port neighbors are the ones that really are most impacted. And I think um, everybody pays this modicum of property tax. Um, but the, and I really appreciate the way over time uh, the executive has allocated an additional amount to this to community-related uh, work. And I think that uh, everybody should feel good about paying this to have the benefit of these assets, acknowledging the fact that those communities deserve to have some additional considerations for getting this disproportionate impact. So I think, uh, I think, I think it's worth noting that it's, it's a very modest tax, but it's one that I think we all are, should feel good about contributing. The one thing that I would love to see if uh, our, our president could address is that, you know, I think for the past two years, I've been your second on offshore wind efforts, and we've heard there's a lot going on in the, in the news and all that. And, um, and I think I saw someplace that there's like a competitive bid exemption that's being sought to continue our studies in that regard. I was just wondering, are we going to get like a briefing on, you know, I know you're out there. I had a chance to go to the Spanish one when I was out in London anyway, and uh, I was a little dismayed. There was no discussion on environmental considerations, but, um, I'm, and also I, I know that, you know, whether these assets are Seaport Alliance assets or Port of Seattle assets, you also do this in your private sector. So what is it, the role of the Port of Seattle, and are we going to get a, some visibility given the fact that this has been going on for a little while? 
Uh, you bet, and I, I did not pay Commissioner Feldman to ask this question and tee up a response, but uh, I'll respond to say I, I don't actually do any of this in my um, other under my other job, but uh, in terms of the work that we're doing on the uh, Port of Seattle and Seaport Alliance side, we're teeing up a, I believe it's February 7th public session for all managing members of the Seaport Alliance in which we're going to have experts come in and talk about Pacific Coast offshore wind, and in particular what the opportunities are for uh, Washington ports, our ports in particular, uh, to support the supply chain for California offshore wind, which goes to bid in a week uh, on December 6th. So by then we'll know which offshore wind developers have won the projects, what's the prospect that it may become a line of business for one of our ports and existing facilities or uh, potentially in facilities that we could add to our portfolio, and hopefully give everybody a sense of what the opportunity is there. Um, in the meantime, I'm serving on the uh, technical advisory committee to uh, an NREL study on the West Coast ports strategy. And that study was necessitated by the fact that currently there is not sufficient port capacity to manage the needs of the California, uh, the, the two what are called call areas and the five uh, wind energy areas that are going up for auction next week. And so they're trying to figure out essentially, uh, the way I think about it, it's akin to a hundred years ago when hydro was was built in the West and this entire new industry that needed to be developed, the cement factories, the steel factories, it's the same scale of an enterprise that needs to be stood up to, to be able to, to build the roughly a thousand, thousand foot turbines that they're planning to build off the coast of California. And is there a role for for our two ports, uh, for Washington State ports generally, and and all of the participants in the supply chain leading up to that, manufacturers in Moses Lake, uh, fishing fleets off season in Grays Harbor, um, and and doing a trying to essentially uh, get an understanding of uh, the economic impacts, benefits, and costs of this kind of industry. So I think that February seventh. Um, meeting will be a great opportunity to get everybody kind of on the same page about this stuff. Um, our budget doesn't contemplate any particular line item for offshore wind, but rather uh, a couple of our divisions are putting, uh, have, have been included in the budget to do exploration of new business lines related to renewables, and that could include offshore wind. Thank you for that. My, my only question was like when we're dealing with all these leases and the potential for the using it for wind doesn't come up. And so whether we're looking at 46 or five and, you know, it just seems like these are the moments when the, that conversation should be had. Yeah, and, and that's exactly my urgency, Commissioner Feldman, trying to make sure that we, we as the uh, managing members of, of the Seaport Alliance have communicated clearly to staff that, that they can go out and work on potentially making certain properties available for, for that kind of use if it's the highest and best use by you know, the values that we've put forward, uh, does it create living wage careers on the waterfront for the, our communities? My only concern is that we only have so many terminals and they seem to be accounted for and even the new proposals are being accounted for and so it's just the timing, it just doesn't seem to be in the mix. So we'll get some February 7th, we'll get some visibility and appreciate that heads up. Thank you. you bet. Thanks for asking the question, Commissioner Pellin. Any other questions or comments for Dan or anyone else? Okay, I'll, I'll share a few comments, and if anybody thinks of anything in the meantime, they can <laughs> share that too. 
what I like about this budget is that it um, it both it, it sort of balances the need to fix the roof when it's sunny, so to speak. We're in pretty good financial shape, um, and so right now we're uh, doing that to to address some deferred maintenance, uh, to shore up our existing lines of business, to make sure that we can continue to to function well in out years. Uh, but it also has the balance of keeping some of our powder dry too. We aren't spending everything we have access to um, on every potential thing we could do, but making sure that we have the financial liquidity in the event of a downturn of some sort to, to be able to keep operations going sufficiently. That's something that our community relies on us for. We are a conduit for every form of commerce. And so being able to operate successfully, even in uh, very tough economic times is critical for our airport and seaport. Um, it also, as, as Commissioner Fellman highlighted, it makes investments in new potential opportunities. These are fairly small, given the overall scale of the budget, but it's, uh, I think it reflects our value as an organization that wants to be innovative, that wants to think not just next quarter, but next decade and even further out. Uh, and that can be things like our, uh, uh, the studies that we're doing into the hydrogen economy and to renewables and into new lines of business that we couldn't imagine. What, what will it mean to be a port in 2050 that we can't contemplate right now? Well, we want to be on the leading edge of that. And I think this budget does a good job of balancing the need to continue to support our existing lines of business and uh, seek new opportunities through investments. So I'm going to be voting for this budget on those lines. And uh, I look forward to continuing to work with our executive leadership team in, in the implementation of this budget. Any further comments or questions? All right. Um, anything else, Executive Director Metric, before we go to a vote? Uh, Mr. President, oh. no. Uh, and I see Commissioner Mohammed. Thank you. Thank you for the time. I just I want to echo those words as well. I, I want to commend the work that our finance department has done, executive metric, DLT numbers, and all of the staff who have helped deliver this budget. Um, and, you know, for the public, I, I just want to say that there was a huge emphasis on community priorities and priorities that we've heard from residents and customers throughout our region. Um, and there are considerable amounts of, of, of work that has been done to support um, areas like workforce development, small businesses, envir our environmental sustainability goals throughout this budget. And, um, and I know there's opportunities for us to do even more. Um, I, am in particular, am interested in, uh, in the coming year looking even more closely at our spending and how it relates to equity and ensuring that the investments that we make are also delivering for our residents of King County. But this is a budget that we um, are all all proud of, and I'm looking forward to supporting it today. Thank you, that Commissioner. That concludes my comments. <laughs> Thank, Thank you, you, Commissioner Mohammed. Hearing no further questions for, their, for this item, is there a motion and a second? So moved. So moved. It, it has been made and seconded. Uh, commissioners, are there any additional questions at this time? Seeing no further discussion, Clerk Hart, can you please call the roll for the vote? Commissioners, please say aye or nay when your name is called. For the vote on the budget, beginning with Commissioner Cho. Aye. Thank you. Commissioner Fellerman. Aye. Thank you. Commissioner Hasegawa. Aye. Thank you. Commissioner Mohammed. Aye. Thank you. And Commissioner Calkins. Aye. Thank you. Five ayes, zero nays for this item.
And with that, the budget motion passes. Excellent job. Thank you, staff, for all the work you put into this each year. Our next item is a resolution accompanied with a request to consolidate introduction and action on the resolution into one meeting per the Commission Bylaws and Rules of Procedure, Article 65D, meaning the vote for adoption could be taken today. The action to consolidate readings requires unanimous consent of all commissioners to do so. Is there any objection to consolidation? Hearing none, the readings are consolidated. Clerk Hart, can you please read the item into the record? We'll then hear from Executive Director Metric to introduce the item. Yes, and just for the record, I just want to state that that was item 10A and B that passed through as a package. So for item 10C, this is introduction and adoption of resolution number 3808, a resolution authorizing the Executive Director to sell and convey port personal property in 2023 in accordance with RCW. 53.08.090 with a value not greater than $23,000 and repealing resolution number 3797 dealing with the same subject. Commissioners, this is an annual authorization to sell and convey port personal property. In the past, staff conducted outreach to local jurisdictions to provide items such as surplus mobility devices to local disadvantaged communities. More, more recently, this resolution enabled the conveyance of 13 diamondback bicycles originally used to patrol South Tacoma International Airport to Rainier Beach High School, Rainier Beach High School's Bike Works Program. Remember, uh, Rudy Kaluza presented that. Uh, this action enables conveyance of property in 2023 and updates the amount to reflect what's outlined in the RCW. Presenter is uh, Don Kelly, Senior Manager, AFR General Accounting. Don, are you there? Yes, thank you. Thank you, uh, Mr. Metric. Um, I'm not sure if my camera is on. I'm trying to turn and I don't see it. Uh, commissioners, good afternoon. This is actually going to be quite brief. Uh, as Mr. Metric uh, indicated, this is an annual uh, an annual authorization that you provide to him. Uh, for background, uh, on an ordinary basis, the port will periodically identify personal property that is no longer needed for port purposes. On average, these are historically amount to between 10 and 30,000 in equipment, furnishings, and devices, and another 10 to 30,000 in rolling stock and vehicles each year. Typically, they're well utilized, they're um, years old, and often beyond uh, their useful lives, and they need to be disposed. To enable staff to perform this disposition, RCW 53 requires that the executive director be specifically authorized by resolution to sell and convey this surplus personal property on an annual basis the RCW also requires that the amount of this authorization be updated each year with an, with an index-based adjustment applied. So this request is, is simply to extend the existing authority for one more year through 2023, and it increases the amount of the authorization from 21000 to 23000 With that, I'll take any questions you have. Are there any questions for staff at this time from commissioners? Commissioner Cho? Where does the $23,000 threshold come from? Is that a... I believe it's from the RCW, right? Is the, is the... Yes, the, the original RCW uh, set the limit at 10000 many years ago and provided that an update would be done each year based on a, a government price index uh, adjustment. So after many, many years, that original 10000 has grown to what's now twenty three. Got it. Thank you. Any further questions? 
Commissioner Feldman. I just always like to acknowledge Rudy's role in making sure that this stuff gets to the communities that are really in need and and it's really an act of love on his part that uh, I know he didn't give a big presentation on this, but thank you for all your effort in doing that because I know it's very well received. Thanks. And I thank see you, Rudy. Rudy, Rudy I, I, I saw Rudy Kaluza popped up uh, on the video. Rudy, would you like to add to that? I know you were you going to add something to uh, um, the previous comments. Well, thank you so much for the um, consideration. I'm Rudy Kaluza, Director uh, of Accounting for Port of Seattle. Well, I, I'm just really proud to be part of the Port of Seattle. We are so committed to helping our communities in any way we can through the policy and directive of the commission as well as the executive director. Uh, we're able to step forward in much more significant ways as we have this year with regard to knowing what we have used to the maximum extent possible and responsibly figuring out a way that we convey property. And that's what we did with regard to police bikes as well as then I'm into help economic disadvantaged communities as well as schools, elementary at the level where the Information Communication Technology uh, Department, uh, through their efforts, uh, consolidate um, refreshed mobility devices, especially iPhones and, and iPads, and we're able to convey to Seattle Public School District as well as Highline School District as well as the elementary level, which is used in uh, educational purposes. And very proud uh, with regard to uh, our staff being able to execute the policy directives in this regard to benefit the community. Uh, with this type of conveyance of equipment. So thank you so much for your leadership, and it's very, it's very wonderful to be able to make these positive impacts to our communities that we serve. Thank you so much. All right, hearing no further questions for this item, is there a motion and a second? So moved. Seconded. The motion was made and seconded. Clerk Hart, please call the roll for the vote. Commissioners, please say aye or nay when your name is called. Being ending with Commissioner Chow. Aye. Thank you. Commissioner Fellman. Aye. Thank you. Commissioner Hasegawa. Aye. Thank you. Commissioner Mohammed. Aye. Thank you. And Commissioner Calkins. Aye. Thank you. Five ayes, zero nays for this item. The item passes. Item 10D has been reordered, so we will move to item 10E at this time. Item 10E is a resolution, again accompanied with a request to consolidate introduction and action on the resolution into one meeting. Per Commission bylaws and rules of procedure, Article 6, 5D. As noted previously, the action to consolidate readings requires unanimous consent of all commissioners to do so. Is there any objection to consolidation? Hearing none, the readings are consolidated. Clerk Hart, please read the item into the record, and then we'll turn over to Executive Director Metric for introduction. Thank you. This is Agenda Item 10E, Introduction and Adoption of Resolution Number 3809, a resolution amending Resolution Number 3464, authorizing extension of the passenger facility charge program at Seattle-Tacoma International Airport, effective January 1, 2023. Commissioners, the collection of passenger facility charges, or PFCs, is a core revenue source for airports across country. Capped by the federal government at $4.50 per ticket for departing passengers, PFCs not only fund operations and infrastructure, but are also a major source of our bond repayment funds. The port has been collecting PFCs since 19, uh, 1992 and anticipates collecting approximately 95 million in PFCs in 2023. This action authorizes the extension of the PFC program at our airport. The presenter for this afternoon is Robert uh, Giacopetti, the uh, Aviation Grants Program Manager. Robert. Thank, 
Thank you, uh, Director Metric. Uh, good afternoon, Commissioners. Um, I'm here. Uh, oh, am I on? Okay. <clears throat> uh, again, my name is Robert Giacopetti. I'm the Aviation Grants Program Manager. Uh, I'm here to request a commission introduction and adoption of Resolution 3809, amending the authorization for passenger facility charges. Next slide, please. Okay. If I may, I'd like to take just a couple of moments to give a brief overview of passenger facility charges at SEA. Um, PFCs are collected from passengers by airlines and submitted to airports for uses approved by the Federal Aviation Administration. Costs paid by PFCs are excluded from the airline rate base. Thus, they lower the airline cost, cost per employment, the CPE. SCA has been collecting PFCs since 1992. Resolution number 3464, passed in 2001, included an expiration date of December 31st, 2022. The proposed action will permit the port to continue collecting passenger facility charges until the port commission decides to terminate. SEA anticipates collecting approximately 95 million of PFCs in 2023. Without these PFCs, our CPE, our cost per employee passenger, would increase by $3.69. Our debt service coverage would increase by 0.31. Next slide, please. So this, this chart uh, illustrates um, our PFC collection forecast. Uh, again, in, in 2022, 2023, it's approximately 94 to 95 million. By 2031, OE forecast collections to be $108 million. And the PFC collection revenue, it just corresponds with employment growth. Next slide, please. Now, this chart illustrates our usage of PFCs. The primary usage is the offset of debt service. As you can see on this chart with the colored bands representing different approved FAA projects, um, the, largest, uh, the largest contribution goes towards the third runway, the international arrival facility, and uh, eventually the North Satellite. Next slide. Okay. And, this, and this, this is just a brief history of our approval and use. Uh, again, our first application, we started collecting PFCs in 1992. Our most recent application was approved in 2017, and that was for the International Rival Facility and North Satellite. Um, <clears throat> these figures are in millions. Uh, our total approved for use uh, of PFCs is 3.8 billion, and to date, we have expended uh, $1.7 billion of PFCs. Again, uh, next slide. Again, this is, and this slide is just a background of previous resolutions adopted by commission. Uh, I'm available for any questions or comments. I concluded my presentation. Commissioners, any questions or comments? Commissioner Cho? Actually, I'm gonna, I was going to make a joke, but I thought... Yeah, <laughs> All right. Any other questions or comments? 
All right. Uh, this is does not appear to be a particularly controversial vote on this one, but uh, do I have a motion and a second? So moved. Second. Uh, clerk, uh, we have a uh, motion and a second, or the motion has been made and seconded. Uh, clerk Hart, can you please call the roll for the vote? Commissioners, please say aye or nay when your name is called. Beginning with Commissioner Cho. Aye. Thank you. Commissioner Fellman. Aye. Thank you. Commissioner Hasakawa. Aye. Thank you. Commissioner Mohammed. Aye. Thank you. And Commissioner Calkins. Aye. Five ayes, zero nays for this item. With that, the motion passes. All right, Clerk Hart, please read the next item into the record. Yes, this is agenda item 10F, introduction of resolution number 3810, a resolution repealing resolution numbers 3605, 3628, 3704, and all preceding resolutions pertaining to the Commission's delegation of responsibility and authority to the Executive Director Policy Directive and adopting a new policy directive as set forth in Exhibit A of the resolution. And again, noting this is for introduction today. Commissioners, this request to increase delegated authority levels was initially suggested by the port audit team as an efficiency opportunity. Since then, a broad team has carefully looked into the audit suggestion and has developed, uh, developed a proposal to, to agree with it and then to put into place. The team was aug augmented by external independent consultant, Mr. John Okamoto, throughout the process. And I believe, I understand that John is, uh, uh, John will offer thoughts today as his own view of the request as well as the staff's. Um, the staff presentation and the recommendation has been generated from the ground up in looking at efficiency opportunities as the audit team first suggested. Further, the team will implement added transparency measures to ensure the public and commissioners can see significant items that have been approved the, the new, through the new delegation system. What I have to say is this, you know, when we talk about delegations, this could be seen as, uh, for myself, as, uh, you know, perhaps tr trying to seek more authority for other purposes than what we're talking about for efficiency. But I want to say for transparency, uh, while I've seen the work and reviewed the work the staff has in the suggestions, I did not participate in the effort in the development or the examination of this in order to keep that separation of, of delegations to myself, so uh, towards any particular result. In fact, I think the Commission's Governance Committee has received more in-depth briefings on this uh, in reviewing the analysis than I have myself. Um, with that being said, I'm going to turn it over to Dave Soiki. If we can believe this, Dave is participating, I believe, from somewhere else in the world, and I don't know what time it is there, Dave. I believe it's probably about uh, 4 a.m. or 5 a.m., so our chief operating officer to participate in this because of his lead on this issue. And also we have Ryan Stamper, Senior Port Counsel, um, participating as well. And Michelle, I believe you were involved in these discussions as well. So with that, I'm going to turn it over to Dave, somewhere in the world. Dave, are you able to uh, hear us? There you go. Um, are you able yes. to put your camera on? There we go. No, wait, that's the presentation. Thank you, Aubrey. And Hi, we, commissioners. I'm. Uh, we see you, Dave. I am. Great. Thank you. And uh, Michelle, I'm going to turn off camera just to make sure that the Wi-Fi is uh, sufficient as I go through. Um, Michelle, if for some reason uh, we lose communication, um, I'm well aware that you and Kyle know this work very well, and I trust you'll take over for me. 
Commissioners, uh, please pardon any commission uh, connection issues. Uh, I'm coming to you from the island of Panay in the Philippines, and it is from my wife's ancestral home. It is actually about 200 years old. Fortunately, the Wi-Fi is newer. Um, commissioners, I, let me quickly relate the bottom line up front here for you before we get into the presentation. And that is that the commission itself to save time and energy to be able to focus more of its time on policy, strategy, community-oriented solutions, and other areas of your interest, the court needs to raise its delegated authority from $300,000 to a recommended $10 million for the executive director to be able to effectively manage the myriad of operational transactional weekly needs of the court. And numerically, it seems like a large change but it's not considering the following five factors. First, this change puts the port in comparable delegation footing with our regional partner agencies, such as King County, City of Seattle, Sound Transit, University of Washington. Second, uh, inflation has significantly eroded the buying power of the current level of delegations. Meanwhile, operational demands have grown remarkably over the years, and this has created a significant imbalance that causes inefficiency across the board. Third, the Commission's century agenda espouses efficiency as a basic tenet as we strive to serve our many customers and communities. And this delegation serves that goal by eliminating waste and freeing up both elected and staff time for higher level work. Fourth, Greater level of checks and balances and transparency for you commissioners and the public has been built into our plan. We even suggest that the port audit team audit us in the near future to ensure that uh, things are working correctly. And fifth, and maybe most telling, the delegations have changed little in the last 26 years and has not been upgraded uh, monetarily in 13 years. It's time. Let me show the solid work of the many team members without uh, reading every slide. I'll simply tell the story as we go ahead. Again, uh, this came from the, the audit team identified several comparative agencies that I noted. It primarily uses the capital program to identify how uh, I'll just uh, I'll make a note that the yellow highlights commissioners provide information about the highlights of each slide. Delegations team spent 18 months working on this. They found that there's an efficiency opportunity. Port staff did a significant statistical reliable report, and the stories from port staff really echoed the efficiency need. We think audit was on it. Next slide. This is the table from the audit report. This came to us about two years ago. We've been working on this since. The audit team demonstrated that in comparison to the agencies on the left, that there are significant delegation level differences. And you can see that Sound Transit has a $5 million delegation and a $14 billion capital program. UW, $15 million delegation, $3.7 billion. And the city and county, once their annual budget is approved, they can move forward with their very large capital programs. 
Next slide. We took a look at inflation. It has eroded the buying power. Meanwhile, our work activities increased. The top half, you can see the percentage decrease in buying power from the delegations that were set 13 years ago. Why are capital delegations a different inflationary rate? It is because that's a different basket of goods and the CPIU measures those differently. Capital has traditionally been a higher inflationary area. Now the bottom half of the, of the chart demonstrates that while the buying powers eroded, in the last five years, the port has significantly, or in the last 13 years, the port has significantly grown. Operating revenues are up, expense budget is up, and the capital forecast is very far up, even 74%. As a result, things are out of balance. So our proposal uh, finds ways to fix this. Next slide. This is a slide that takes three years of actual commission monetary approvals and asks, and it puts them into a simple slide. So I'll take a quick minute here to describe them. Atop the green area, you'll see numbers 83 and 94, 72. In that three-year period, there were 83 requests that were between us a dollar and a million dollars. And there were 94 that were between one and two and a half million dollars, and so on. And if you look at the bottom blue column, you'll see that for those 83 items, the total dollars requested was 42 million. For the 94, it was 149 million, and so on. But if you transfer to the right side of the chart, you see the dip and then the growth toward the large blue column. That identifies that only 47 items accounted for 3.7 billion. That's billions of dollars. So that is where likely the greatest policy strategy items exist and certainly the greatest spending that we've approved. Now look at the red line below. Even though an item, say those 83 items, might be between zero and a million dollars, we know that some of those are actual policy items. So we went back into the data and we identified how many items really should go to the commission and which ones could go to the executive director for efficiency operational reasons. Under the 94, we identified that 19 of those 94 really should go to the commission since they're policy and strategy. And then you'll notice a blue line above where there's a number 25. That identifies items between the 19 and the 25 that if we were going to do those three years again, it would make sense for the executive director to approve those six items from 19 to 25, but that there's important public awareness that should be made. And so we would recommend those kind of items are used in the executive director's public commission report. So the green area comes down to that. That is what has been identified as the efficiency opportunity. 
all of those items in that green area, 83, 94, 72.4, those are items that take staff significant amount of time to prepare public quality presentations and memorandums and backup information. Those items could be approved by the executive director, provided we have a good, transparent way to do it, and we'll show you how we plan. Next slide. This is the same curve showing the dip to the right, and this is where we identified the lull in the curve is probably the most likely area and best able spot to make a delegation change to. We considered five, seven and a half, and 10, and we recommended 10 to the governance committee that we've met with three times, if I recall correctly. And again, the benefit is going to allow staff improvement on efficiency and more commission time to focus on your policy, community, and high-cost programs and areas of interest. Let me make that point a little more at the next slide. We thought about identifying the benefits for the commission, the benefits for the executive director, staff, and even business partners in the community. And without reading everything, it certainly, as I noted, it has helped avoid clogging your public calendar. It's going to allow you more time to focus on everything from workforce development, WIMBY, small business, community and social issues, et cetera. And on the port staff side, we've calculated that we can save the equivalent cost of six to eight current employees many thousands of hours per year. And we can deploy those to greater work value to get the other work done. And as you're aware, it's difficult to find employees now, so the more efficient we can be, the better. It also has a savings of time for business partners in the community. Eight weeks is required to get through the commission cycle to get those really high quality public documents ready that we read and consider. Um, before that, it takes several weeks for staff to prepare their first drafts, and those move through the entire bureaucracy of the court. So there's savings on all levels then. Next slide. Here is the estimate on the backup about the savings of financial time. Again, six to eight FTEs, 16,000 hours per year that we can save. It reduces the number of actions per year. Uh, we have made some calculations on the number of those, and it should shorten your meetings and allow you more time for committee work and to delve deeper into areas of interest and importance. Next slide. This is a illustrative split. The ED on the left, the ED report in the middle, and the policy commission actions on the right. On the left, these are the kind of actions that we found in the three years of data that went to commission, but that we believe for operational efficiency, the ED could sign. The second item, de-icer. It's 75 degrees and highly humid here, but I understand our home has been seeing a cold snap. The ED report in the middle, things that the ED might approve and yet would want to comment because of its size or significance to the commission and to the public through its ED report every two weeks in a public meeting. 
And then on the right side, you can see the significant list of policy and strategy vote items that were still necessary to come forward in public session. And again, even if it's a small item that's $2 million, we would recommend it does not go to the ED but comes into the public process and commission. So you can see sound insulation for our community members, tribal agreements, tourism, land changes, which have long-term effects, and of course, the huge uh, projects. Next slide. Uh, this is another illustrative view to give you a sense about the effectiveness of the 300,000 current delegation. The top half identifies how many minutes with that $300,000 that's been eroded by inflation that the ED can run the port. On the expense side, the ED can run it for 63 minutes out of one day, out of one week, out of a whole year. On the capital side, because of the higher inflation rate in capital, the ED can only run the port for 37 minutes with that delegation. In the bottom half, we thought about, well, how much would it be for to run the port for a day? Not an hour, but a day. And the delegation levels would be 1.6 million and 2.1 million corresponding. We believe that EV should be able to run the port for a week. And every second week, I'll note that we have a public commission meeting on average. And so there's not a lot that is lost in the system. So we recommended $10 million to the governance committee and they concurred. Next slide. I'll turn it over to Ryan Stamper now. And the legal department has done a very close uh, scrutiny of this and has prepared the documents excellently over to Ryan. Thank you, Dave. As Dave mentioned, we have updated the delegation of authority in a number of ways. We have removed outdated references and language not necessary to the delegation, and this includes references to other policy directives or specific laws that have changed. We have updated language related to permits, which will allow the executive director to execute not just the permits and applications themselves, but also the documents related to those permits, including mitigation credits, hold harmless agreements, non-disclosure agreements, and restrictive covenants. We have added back insurance and surplus delegations from previous delegations that included language we believed was helpful. We updated the definition section, including removing definitions that were no longer referenced in the delegation and adding definitions, including interlocal agreements and projects to provide clarity. We added a delegation for agreements that do not meet the definition of interlocal agreements and are not covered by any other specific delegation. These would be agreements that involve an exchange of goods or services and promote operational or logistical efficiency, but would not be a typical procurement contract. This category would cover things like reimbursement agreements with government entities like TSA or CBP. The next slide will show the updated monetary limits. As David mentioned, these align with other similar public entities. Limits relating to capital projects and other contracts have been raised up to $10 million. This includes public works contracts, alternative public works contracts, service agreements, purchases of goods, use of port crews, street vacations, and airport tenant reimbursements. 
budget transfers of up to $10 million are allowed for transferring scope of work from one executed contract to another project if both projects have been previously approved. For projects that are expected to exceed $10 million, preliminary work is authorized up to a maximum of $2 million. This can include planning, programming, concept design up to 30% design, surveys, and geotechnical investigations. Projects over $10 million must be approved by commission prior to exceeding that $2 million preliminary work threshold. The limit for critical work has been updated from $500,000 to $15 million for work requiring immediate action to avoid significant adverse consequences to public health, safety, or property. The durational delegation for real property agreements, such as leases, will remain the same, so leases of more than five years will continue to require commission approval but the reimbursement limit for leases of five years or less is increasing from $300,000 to $1 million. The monetary limit for claims and settlements has also been updated from $300,000 to $1 million. Other changes to the legal services and claims section include consolidating reporting frequency, updating and clarifying language related to the supervision of legal services and retention of counsel, clarifying the standards for settling litigation and claims, and updating the definition of litigation to clarify that retention of attorney for individuals is limited to litigation matters. Now I'll turn it back over to Dave Soike for the next slide. Dave, there you go. Yes, thank you. Uh, commissioners, we've worked ahead and thought about how to build in transparency into public sessions uh, for anything that the executive director includes. And I'm seeing a poor network quality, Michelle, so keep your eye on the audio, please. We propose, commissioners, that uh, as the executive director approves items, we would make them transparent in public. And the chart on the right identifies that we would categorize them in the same manner legal just described. We would have our reference tracking number and we would describe what each approval was and what is the amount. And of course the aggregate total. We do the same thing now with all court expenditures. The beginning of every month, claims and obligations are identified in the public calendar. We would do a similar thing as shown on the right on the left-hand side, we'd add an item listing the monthly delegation use greater than two and a half million and one to two months in arrears. We believe we can get it to one month in arrears um, using a new system that IT is designing for us. Next slide. I wanted to give you a sense for what the approval workflow on the left would be like through the port staff. Subject matter experts throughout the port would pull a template from the executive SharePoint site. They'd select a type of approval, drop down. This is a workflow process. They would do yes and no clicks through the delegation to verify for themselves and for us as checkers that what exact part of the delegation are they approving? What are they, I'm sorry, what are they considering and asking for? 
and that gives a good audit trail later. It'd fill out a form with fewer attachments in the commission process. It would be much quicker. It'd send it to their managers, to the EOT member. That EOT member would review it, consider it, send it forward to the executive office. The COO and other staff in the executive office would review, make checks, phone calls, and if necessary, revert it back to the commission process if it's a policy or strategy item. Or, if possible, we would recommend the ED for a signature. Then the ED would get to review it. On the right-hand side, it gives you a sense of the kind of checks that would be happening as it goes through the process, and those are highlighted in yellow. For example, we'd be checking with external relations, ODDI, legal, finance, your commission, chief of staff leads and team, and of course, the chief of staff in the executive office. We would make yes-no decisions to move forward to the ED or right back into the commission cycle. Next slide. And now, if I may, I'll turn it over to John Okamoto, who has been an independent external member of our team as we've worked through this. John. Good afternoon, commissioners. My name is John Okamoto. I am a consultant that has supported this effort. Just as a little bit of background, I have over 25 years delivering large and complex capital programs and projects including the 520 bridge, 405, Interstate 405, the Alaskan Way Tunnel, as well as some of the airport's uh, largest projects. I also served as a short time as a Seattle City Council member. So I understand the oversight roles necessary as an elected official, but I could also balance that with the needs of an executive who has responsibility to administer programs as well as deliver large projects. A few years back, the port asked me to serve on a panel to look at the port's ability to deliver on a larger, more complex capital program. And at that time, we looked at all processes involved in the delivery of projects, including the delegations of authority and recommended that they be re-examined. This conclusion to find efficiencies was also reaffirmed by the port's auditors that there were substantial efficiencies that could be gained by uh, looking at and, and adjusting delegations of authorities especially in light of what other agencies were doing. More recently, in discussions with a former port executive, uh, Jim Dwyer, who was also at one point in time the CEO and board chair of Delta Dental, he reaffirmed that in his time, his tenure at the port, that he, they found uh, greater efficiencies by adjusting the delegations of authority. But in any adjustment with delegations of authority, there needs to be uh, a careful examination of both the benefits as well as the risks in making adjustments. The port staff led by Dave Soiki, as well as a, a, a substantial team of of staff looked at this issue not only from a quantitative and qualitative uh, uh, level, 
but also uh, testing out different levels of authority and what that would do and how to mitigate and report on actions taken by the port director. This effort has been uh, as extensive as I've seen uh, in, other, uh, in other efforts. In this slide, which is somewhat complicated, it attempts to describe that lifting or changing the delegation of authorities for specific actions does not mean that there are no guardrails uh, for uh, port staff um, and their actions. At the global level, there are standards that need to be followed, uh, including uh, international building codes. There are best practices as it relates to construction and environmental issues. As you're aware, there are many uh, United States or national standards and regulations that the port has to comply with, including things like um, environmental uh, environmental regulations, NEPA requirements. There's a Corps of Engineers, there's FAA regulations, USDOT regulations. There are many, many uh, national uh, standards and regulations that need to be met. At the state level, there's further regulations and standards that need to be met, you know, in the form of, of, uh, of things like prevailing wage, uh, more specific environmental standards and regulations, financial stewardship uh, responsibilities. And at the regional level, uh, layering even further uh, uh, down, uh, there are tribal sovereign rights issues. There are uh, the Puget Sound Regional Council uh, requires compliance with adopted regional plans. The municipal level, there are further uh, actions that create uh, guardrails for port staff and what they what they do. Um, land use codes, fire codes, utility standards, and then going uh, further, uh, you have a whole set of port policies that uh, that regulate and control port uh, staff behavior like uh, you just uh, adopted uh, your budget, which includes uh, expenditure authorizations at a high level. Uh, that provides some, you know, some guidance that uh, the executive needs to comply with. And further below that, uh, under um, executive director metrics responsibility, there are other requirements that staff need to comply with design standards, procedures, procurement, project controls. There's a numerous, uh, numerous um, controls and standards there. So what I'd, I'd like to, to reaffirm to the commission, as well as the public, is that changes in project delegation of authority does not change a whole host of, of other regulations and standards that need to be followed. In closing, I recommend that you support these changes. I think they are reasonable and they're well thought out. Commissioners, 
that concludes our remarks from this briefing. Uh, we're happy to answer any questions, and we would note that we have a very long appendix to this PowerPoint that provides more detail with granularity. Thank you, Dave. Um, I, I just want to say uh, thank you to Dave for all the work you've put in on this. Give our best to Tina, too, who we miss already. And I want to say thanks to Ryan and John as well for the work that uh, they've put in the and providing the presentation. I also know that lots and lots of people have provided feedback through surveys and other things as we have uh, really endeavored to do a comprehensive review of this as we worked on it. Finally, I want to say thanks to Commissioner Fellman who served on the Governance Committee and uh, has put a lot of thought and effort and reading into this, uh, the recommendation that our committee made uh, to the um, Commission as a whole. Uh, and so with that, I'm going to turn it over to other commissioners for questions or comments. Uh, Commissioner Hasegawa. Uh, I'd like to thank staff for their um, diligent work on this proposal for our consideration. And um, can we pull up slide 14, please? On the PowerPoint. I consider one of the important roles of a commissioner and the commission to be to promote transparency and accountability through oversight in our operations towards the ends of promoting public trust. So um, I really um, emphasized towards staff during this process the importance of making sure that there was a process for um, public visibility um, in public forum into um, decisions that have been made by staff without commission approval. And so I want to acknowledge that work and I want to acknowledge um, in particular the processes that they've been able to put up for um, public consumption um, for those controls. I'm wondering, um, based upon this criteria on this slide, what is the threshold for an item to be referred to commission? And um, is that officially defined somewhere or is that at the discretion of the executive director? Um, this particular form is a synopsis of the longer forms. If we find that there's a strategic item, yes, or a policy, yes, or something of high community interest or a high commissioner interest, we would discuss that with the chief of staff, your staff, and if so, we will likely make the joint decision that we will move it back into the public commission cycle. Mm -hmm. And we do this on following the delegation flow for each and every type of request that would come through. But we are using IT to create a workflow so that we can get to that decision in a much quicker fashion than is typically done through the typical approval process here at the port and through the commission cycle. And if a member of the public were to request records... Did that answer, Commissioner? It w yes, thank you. May I ask a follow-up question? That if a member of the public wanted to request records uh, for things that have uh, been approved under the new um, delegation um, the new level of delegated authority, would they be able, would we be able to easily provide that to them? We would. 
we will be tracking each signature request that comes through and, of course, each approval signature that comes through. And so we will be able to look back on a month-by-month -month basis and even look in the uh, public commission items to find that item and provide uh, the write-up that was given to us. It is possible to provide that, and I believe easily so. Okay, thank you. I have another question, switching gears, about timing. You know, we have SAMP on the, um, you know, the ever-distant horizon. <laughs> why now? Why are we changing? Um, why are we changing the limit now? Um, the audit team identified the opportunity earlier, and we've been working on it since. Our, our timing is not related necessarily to SAM, but still the audit team thought about the growth of the port and the capital program and said, there's an opportunity there. Even without SAMP, our capital program is now the biggest it's ever been and growing. And as a result, uh, the work that John had been asked to come to the port and take a look about our, how well can we deliver? What can we do to improve things? This was one of them. Are any near-term projects below the threshold? For the new I do. Uh, any SAMP near-term projects? I do not know that answer. John, do you? I, I, I do not know. Uh, and I uh, believe, and this could be confirmed by others, that SAMP projects, uh, SAMP has not been authorized um, uh, yet. Okay. Yeah, I would say, uh, Commissioner, just in that in the next five-year CIP, there are no near-term projects in the next five years. Thank you. Well, you know, I um, would say that from an administrative standpoint, that this is the way for us to be able to optimize our most valuable resource, which is our time, and redirect that towards the things that we have identified are our top priorities. This is a really critical moment for the Port of Seattle, and the commissioners are busy at work on a number of really important items. And so um, there are tremendous benefits to this um, without sacrificing too many controls over oversight and accountability, which is um, really, um, I think, at the crux of some of this conversation as well. So um, I will be voting to approve this. And I, again, I'd like to acknowledge the work that staff has done to make sure that we have um, a thoughtful a thoughtful proposal on the table. Thank you. Additional questions or comments? Yeah, first and foremost, I want to thank the team for putting this analysis together. Um, you know, on principle, I agree with the staff and the recommendation that we need to make revisions to the delegation authority. I think $300,000 is just way too low given just inflation in itself. Um, but I also want to make a point here that we uh, let's not um, assume that what is a priority or, or what is important to the commission is necessarily attached to a dollar amount, right? That's to say that just because something is $10 million doesn't mean that it's high priority for us, right? And it doesn't necessarily mean because one thing is $100,000 that it's not a priority for us. I think there could be a $100,000 project that's extremely uh, important to us, right? And so my point here being is that as important it is 
uh, and I agree with the gained operational efficiency by raising the amount uh, of the delegation, I also think it's important to pay attention to the nature of what we are delegating. And so what I would ask of the staff and Dave, since you've done this analysis of how many authorizations uh, we would be trimming down on by raising the delegation of authority, I would also like you to go back and categorize those uh, by, the, you know, by uh, what nature of delegation we are foregoing by raising this. Does that make sense? Yes. Okay. Because I, because I want to know, I want to make sure that we are not necessarily foregoing certain types of delegation um, by by raising the threshold. Mr. Commission President. Yeah. Through the Commission President to Commissioner Cho, we do have those categorizations in the data that we did for the three-year period of time, so we can provide that in between now and the next reading. Yeah, that'd be great. I want to see what, what uh, if there's a, a pattern here. Uh, Commissioner Mohammed. Thank you for the time. Um, First, I, I just want to say thank you to everyone who has worked on this topic, the research that you all have done. Um, improving our operation efficiency is important to all of us. And so um, I just want to start by recognizing that and uh, recognizing uh, the hard work that you all have put in uh, in the last 18 months. Um, I also want to acknowledge that I am a Newark commissioner. I was not um, around for the start of this research that was done, and I do serve on the audit committee, and um, this issue hasn't come in front of me in, in the audit committee, and I, and I um, also recognize that the governance committee that uh, Commissioner Solomon is on has been reviewing this matter um, for uh, the last uh, 18 months. Um, I also just want to say that I, I want to be supportive of, the, of this, um, but I also am worried about the future. I am uh, still trying to figure out how some of this, um, what some of the benefits and the risks are still, and how the change in the delegation of authority um, that we might take on um, can impact us in the future. I'm thinking about a new commission, a new executive, new leadership, and so on. And I know that whatever sort of um, change we make, that can all, always be changed again. Um, but, you know, we're, we're, we will be setting a precedent, and that is, um, to me, a, a big deal and something that I think um, we need to wrestle with and, and um, make make decisions around this very carefully as a commission. Um, you know, when I first got briefed on this, I asked about how the delegation of authority compares with other jurisdictions, not the county, but actual, like, other ports of our size um, that are operating um, in, um, in business lines similar to ours. And so I wanted to get um, just more clarity around that. Um, how do we compare to other ports of our size that have a, a, a sim similar books as us? Lynn Fernandez, I believe you're online and you did some research. And after your comments, sure, I, I will comment. Thank you. Hi, hello, uh, Glenn Fernandez, uh, Director of Internal Audit Commissioner. And uh, I'm, uh, 
you know, Dave asked me to do a little more research. When we did the audit itself back in 2020, uh, Commissioner Bowman, who was on the audit committee at the time, thought that sound transit was the most comparable to us. So we looked at the sound transit benchmark. And they had just increased in 2018 their delegation limits up to the $2 million and $5 million. Uh, we also, you know, there, there weren't very many, or there isn't a comparable port in the state of Washington to the port of Seattle. So we had to go outside. We did look outside. Most airports um, in that we reached out to and seaports are still at the lower levels. They have not raised their rates. The Port of San Diego has put in um, a, an option where the CEO can approve things without a limit, but he has to report it to the board at the next uh, commission meeting or the next meeting. These are for procurement supplies, materials, services, and consulting agreements. Um, and then California seems to have uh, on change orders for after change order, after a contract for construction or capital is approved by the commission, then if change orders are under a certain percentage of the entire contract, the CEO can, or the executive director can approve those. Now, um, additionally, cities, when we look at cities, San Francisco, San Diego, San Jose, they've all got the high limits. And they're, you know, what they end up doing is uh, there's a budget and a capital improvement plan that's provided in the prior year to the commission of the governing body, and the governing body approves that capital improvement plan and the budget, and then thereafter the mayors or the executive directors have the ability in those situations to uh, to authorize any spent without a threshold as long as it's within that approved budget. So, so it varies. Um, the ports, like I mentioned, um, you know, I haven't heard back from the Port of New York and New Jersey, but from the ones um, in Florida, governed by a lot of local statutes that, that kind of keep it low, and San Diego, um, although they're trying to make change, they're still at the lower levels. Uh, so they range from two hundred to $500,000. Um, there was a California multi-agency benchmark study that was done also in 2019 where um, the, the consultant that did the study suggested that raising the rates, or raising the threshold would be the right thing to do. Uh, nobody, not many people have done it yet, but, uh, you know, and then the study said that the sweet spot, it appears to be around a million dollars, but uh, no, you know, no real link or, or it, it didn't lock to anything and, and suggest anything. It just said that seemed to be the area. Uh, but, the, but the study, the California multi-agency study, did say it should be raised from where they are at right now. So that's the benchmarking that's been done. Happy to answer the questions. Well, and that's helpful. Um, so the study said that they should move it, but that no one actually took action on it. Do you have comments about um, why they didn't go with the recommendation of the study? I do not. Um, I merely spoke to peers at uh, at the various ports, and uh, you know, I guess action and, and change is difficult. And in this case, we just happened to be doing an audit in 2020 to assure compliance with the delegation of authority, and we looked at the amount of work that was being done, and the number of iterations and times that things came back, and sometimes for very mundane things that uh, you know. 
like hand sanitizer that might uh, you might need at the airport or cleaning supplies or any anything um, of of routine nature. And the amount of work that was being done, we we felt that you know that could uh, a little change and and raising that could significantly alleviate that burden. Thank you. Thank you for those. Um those comments, that's an area that I um, I don't want to hold up too much time asking similar questions to that, but I, I definitely am interested in digging a little deeper in that specific area. Um, the second question that I had, I, I know you, you all have done a number of surveys and have um, talked to stakeholders. Um, could someone speak to that um, a little more? How, who have we talked to, uh, labor groups, environmental groups, stakeholders that work directly with you know in our operations um can can someone talk about some of those surveys and, and discussions with with those key groups uh, thank you the surveys we mentioned in the presentation was limited to 200 port employees and we had a very strong showing um, since that time and since we had an opportunity to speak earlier commissioner i have made some phone calls um, I've spoken to the leader of the Seattle Building Trades, and his view was that uh, he supports the change. He believes that uh, even workforce development these days is multi-million dollar business and efforts, and he believes that $300,000 does not go far anymore. Um, he also noted that it, he, he viewed from his point of view, what it would be like for a commissioner, he said that uh, he noted that you have got to give them more time because they have such bigger issues that they're grappling with. They need to focus there. And he believed that the time that we're creating for the business community is important. I also spoke with the leader of the state of Washington Consulting uh, Consultants Council. Um, he identified, uh, I'm just turning to my notes now, he thought that procurement protections are probably most in place as part of the state processes. They actually have limits, black limits on how we go about procuring from a fairness standpoint. He said it's probably not protected by the commission delegation code, but what you're doing is probably the biggest thing possible is speeding things up. And he said that um, uh, many firms track port efforts and they build teams to do so, but the time it takes to get those things into the marketplace um, is really hurting because they have to move people around so much so that the proper team gets lost for the Port of Seattle. It gets eroded. But I, I reminded him, we're only talking about going to $10 million, which is only about 14% our spend. Um, the other 86% is all in the larger uh, beyond $10 million. Um, he made uh, another good point that, um, uh, it, that things are done through teams, and those are done through relationships and trust and you need those constant teams on board. And he went back to his point about um, speed it up so we don't have to break the teams down. I've also made a, a phone call to the Associated General Contractors Association of Washington. Um, 
uh, Sonia's due to call me back later today in your time. And I thought about small businesses, Wimby's, DBEs, et cetera. So, you know, my best uh, voice there, I went right to me and Rice, who's uh, for the public record, he's our Port of Seattle manager. And uh, his thoughts were that he supports speeding things up because if the executive director can approve something in a week and it takes three months to get through a commission, those firms don't have the cash built up to hover that long. They're looking for work now. And uh, he, he thought that even if there's a change in a project or an, in, in a, an initiative and there has to be more funding provided, but it's still less than $10 million, he asked, does that mean that EV can do that? Yes. Then he said, that's another great benefit because it takes the hiccups out of the system and keeps people working. And I asked him if there's um, an association leader I could talk to, and he identified three or four. There's not, a, as you probably all know, there's not a single association out there, but there's multiple. So we can reach a little further and ask those questions. Um, and Commissioner, that's the extent of some of the reach that I've done. Thank you. I, I appreciate you um, sharing sharing those comments and um, appreciate you making those phone calls. Um, as I conclude my my questions, I, I just want to say I think it's it's great we've talked to two or three external stakeholders. I think that is an area that we need to do more work around. Um, it's, I appreciate the 200 port employees who provided uh, feedback around this, and um, I want to be supportive of improving our um, operations and efficiency. But I also know that you know certain decisions that we make can create unintended harms that can outlive us. And so, um, you know, I have additional questions that I will ask outside of commission, but I, I do appreciate this first reading and the work that has been done. Thank you. Thank you, Commissioner Thank you. Commissioner Feldman? Well, I certainly understand the the concerns of the, the, the size of this change is rather large, and so I completely share the concerns being articulated by uh, my colleagues. Um, the fact that uh, right now that we have great faith in the integrity and judgment of our executive and the executive leadership team, we, we can feel comfortable with delegation, but to the point is we're making decisions for the future. So to your point, um, we want to make sure that we're not opening a can of worms that uh, can lead to unintended consequences in the future. So I really appreciate that. Um, and now it really isn't any surprise, I would think that staff wholly support this because this is a tremendous amount of work that gets in the way of them actually doing their work. So I, I don't know how dispositive that part of the poll is and certainly think they, uh, the folks that want to do work with the port certainly would see the value of having a more streamlined process to doing that. So those stakeholders, that sort of makes sense to me. With regards to um, the question about, you know, the judgment call, you know, what is, even though it's not within the, you know, it, it could be delegated financially, but it should be considered from a policy perspective. I think that slide five does a nice job of showing uh, currently how the historic analysis would show that relatively small amount that would still go before the commission. Um, Commissioner Cho is asking specifically about what type of projects are they. I would assume that they're 
rather wide ranging, um, but still within the scope of commissioner interest. And, and, and again, I, I feel very comfortable that uh, under this commission and this executive team that we're in a good place. But what um, Mr. Swicky said to me when I was expressing these same concerns about where's the fail safe? Where can, um, where can the electeds really make sure that we have our chance to look at it? And I'll, there's a great opportunity that I, I'm, if I missed it, I'm sorry for reiterating it, but uh, the president reviews the agenda. And at that point in time, there are decisions being made about what goes on consent, what goes to the um, public votes, and, and these decisions will come before the president in those situations, as I understand. And so that is, you know, you have to trust the president, but um, these, if there was a source of concern, and, and obviously in these uh, look-ahead calendars, any commissioner is entitled to attend. If there is concern about some big item that is being delegated, um, there are these other opportunities where the publicly elected official has a chance to provide that additional oversight. So that was actually one of the things that really kind of um, put me over the top in being able to be supportive of what seems to be a, a very large change. Although, as you see, even though the number change is very big, the actual number of items that will come before us is not that significantly changed. So I leave it at that. Uh, a few of my comments, and then it sounds like we've got a couple of commissioners who want a uh, second bite at the apple here. So uh, let me, I, I got started in this conversation uh, back when I was serving on the audit committee with Glenn Fernandez. And, and so um, in some sense, I feel like I've been steeped in this for a long time and have been thinking through a lot of the issues that we've been talking about here. And if I thought for one moment that this proposal would actually make the port less transparent, I would vote against it. I, through all of the discussions we've had, that has been a value that we hold highest. And in many ways, I believe this, this makes us more transparent. It helps to address a signal noise problem that I think we have, which is when we are compelled to pass everything in public session, even you know, a $350,000 small repaving project at the airport, it means that the real signal gets lost in the noise. And that's both true for the public who's trying to tune in and, and sort through what's critical, what's mundane, what's routine, what's extraordinary. But it also, for us five part-time commissioners, it's extremely difficult to, to try to stay up to the level of awareness we need on all the issues that we're asked to cover on the airport side, the seaport side, the economic development division, and then just working in, in the, the corporate wherewithal of the organization. And so I think what we're attempting to do here is strip away some of that noise from, from these proceedings in particular. Um, as Commissioner Fellman said, uh, this should not, although we have great trust in Executive Director Metric, he's an extraordinary leader of this organization, this should not be read as an affirmation of, you know, he's a person of integrity and so we're just going to turn the keys over. Rather, we're thinking about this as when we're all gone, uh, what is the best structure for the long-term health of the organization. And part of what Glenn and his team identified is that um, more than belts and suspenders, we had belts, suspenders, Velcro, snaps, shoestrings. We had so many redundant, we have so many redundant uh, fail-safes that it was creating, it creates uh, red tape and bureaucracy that's, that is going against our goal six of our century agenda, which is to be a highly effective public agency. 
we need to to balance the um, the ability to uh, for the commission to to oversee crucial decisions against the need to be an agile public agency that can meet the moment uh, whenever it comes. Uh, the other part of this that I think is um, really important for us to keep in mind is that we are moving into a phase of um, increased capital expenditure. And the last thing I would want is for us to be hamstrung by our own internal, redundant, unnecessary internal policies. And so I believe that the timeliness of this is not accidental. It's in fact understanding that not only has that 300,000 absolute dollar number been eroding the real purchasing power, uh, but it's um, as we come up on a period in which in every aspect of our business, we're going to be needing to um, spend the public's money and our business line revenues in a, an efficient and transparent manner. And I think this is going to uh, significantly benefit that effort. Um, it is, uh, I think, appropriate in this in this space that we're discussing it. Um, this is not the kind of thing that, that I think is going to, um, it, it is, I think, the kind of work that, as Commissioner Muhammad has mentioned, very important for the legacy of the current leadership. And I'm convinced that we are going to serve the port and our community better by um, acting on this. We have some homework based on this reading um, to get back to commissioners with responses to some of those really important questions. Um, and uh, so with that, I'm going to ask again, are there any other questions or comments for commissioners? I see Commissioner Mohammed, you came back on the screen. Do you have follow-up? Sorry, I just didn't go off the screen. <laughs> oh, no, you can stay on. I no. just thought maybe you had another. <laughs> we like having you here. And uh, Commissioner Chilp? I have two questions and maybe one suggestion for uh, an amendment uh, between now and then is uh, slide 13, I'm looking at the transparency in public session in 2023 slide, and it looks like the idea is to put any expenditure over two and a half million dollars on consent. Uh, what does that mean? Is that just a disclosure? Is, are we voting on consent? Why is it on consent? Dave, I can take that. Yes, thank you, Michelle. Go sure. ahead. Through the commission president to Commissioner Cho. Um, so the there will be a monthly reporting that is on the commission agenda, much like your approval of claims and obligations. This report will be for information only, so there will be no action for approval. It will be noted for information only. And it will contain the delegated approvals for about a month or two in arrears um, so that you will have the visibility to all of the approvals as well as the public. So that will be a public document out and available to the public. And then, um, Dave, could you explain where the $2.5 million threshold came from? Yeah. Um we could lower that threshold all the way down to a million dollars if you like, and that provides more transparency. Um, what I was trying to do was similar to the claims and obligations. We used to have an entire laundry list of everything that was in there, and it has been shortened over time um, to the larger ones. So that's why I focused on the two and a half to 10. It was the larger ones. Okay, thanks. But um, we will be tracking data for all of them. So I'd you'd be happy to uh, publish the data also. Either way, Commissioner, thank you. Thanks, Dave. Uh, one more question and then a comment. Um, what do we do in cases where projects are segmented? If we have a, a project that 
is $50 million, but maybe Steve chose, chooses to do 10 approvals of $5 million. Is that a possible um, scenario? It is a scenario that we do not like because we do not want uh, segmentation. However, this delegation, as Ryan identified, there's an ability for the executive director to authorize $2 million of planning money because that's about the right percentage of a $10 million project. And that $2 million allows, say, the airport or Northwest Seaport Alliance and Maritime ED to kick off planning earlier for a project rather than waiting for a long commission cycle. But um, we've written into the legal delegation work, and Ryan, you might be able to comment on that, that uh, any, at any time that uh, it appears that something is happening in a piecemeal fashion, uh, it's not approved through the system. Any time the potential amount goes beyond $10 million, we stop approving things through the ED and it goes straight to commission. Thanks, Dave. Commissioner, if I can just comment on that, too. Uh, believe me, CPL, even with the limit where we are now at 300, believe me, segmentation, I'm looking at the, down here at the legal council, both on that from legal and CPL are on top of this all the time. We, that's not something that we want to uh, either entertain or, um, or look at. We don't, I mean, it's a practice to do that, but there's both CPL and legal are looking at that to, to prevent us from doing that as well. The reason I bring that up is because in procurements, oftentimes there's a threshold for sole sourcing, and oftentimes you will put out a contract that's $1,000 below the threshold so you can sole source it, and then oftentimes there's a second part of the contract that they award that's also below the threshold. I, that's a, those are scenarios I just want to make sure we avoid because, in my view, those are deliberate attempts to bypass those policies. And so I'm just throwing that out there and asking because I want to make sure that we've thought about that. We have, Commissioner. Okay. We um, are not purposely at this time changing any of the procurement thresholds. And in fact, um, significant thresholds in, our, in that system are actually regulated by the state. Right. Um, and then one last suggestion here for my colleagues to consider, you know, I, I was reading this memo and um, we haven't made any reviews or updates to this since 2009. It's been 13 years. Uh, I am, and I think everyone here is in agreement that we are concerned about the long-term precedence this, this holds. I agree that we all have the utmost confidence in Steve uh, to execute this in a responsible manner. I can't speak to the future. Uh, or any, uh, any commissioner or commission president beyond my tenure here. And so my suggestion would be that we actually sunset this special, uh, this delegation and require review and or reauthorization of the delegation of authority every five years or so, so that we are forced to look at it again every half decade or whatever number of years that the commission and the executive agrees on. But 13 years is way too long. Uh, I think that uh, reviewing it every five years or so will help us quell the concern that there that a future executive director uh, might go rogue. And so I do think that might be a good way for us to create a checks and balances that we all want to see when it comes to this delegation authority. So I will offer that as an amendment uh, for the next reading if I don't get any pushback. 
Um, so my, I, I think I would be supportive of a an amendment that uh, puts a date on. So as as I think uh, Dave Soiki mentioned, there is a call to have an audit within 24 months. So we get an immediate feedback on how this is going. Um, in addition to that, I would be supportive of a um, you know, putting a, a timeline on when the commission ought to take up a review. It makes me nervous to, to put a sunset on the actual delegation of authority um, because a lack of action could handcuff uh, both sides in that partnership. But I do think I like the idea of saying you are compelled at year four, year five to have an a all-in executive review, including the commission of how well it's working and whether it should be adjusted at that point. Keep in mind, at any point, any future commission could entirely do away with the delegation of authority and accrue all the power back to them by a vote of the majority. That's all it would take. So um, we aren't, this isn't um, <laughs> what, I guess nothing is uh, is etched in stone, but um, this it, it doesn't handcuff future commissions from being able to undo or change or whatever. Commissioner Pelman. Uh, the, the one thing is, since this is a substantive change, I, I was a little surprised that the, um, that the the, res the uh, attachment or appendix A uh, wasn't in red line. It just strikes me that you know we should see, uh, for transparency purposes, we should see what those changes are. So we we don't see that in at least I don't see that in a red line. And so I guess I would like to have the public be able to understand because there are more than just the dollars, right? There's differences within there that should be seen. Clerk Hart, could you speak to that? Thank you, uh, Mr. Commission President, to Commissioner Fellman. Um, we did not prepare a red line of this because the, ex the changes were so extensive through the document, it wouldn't have been anything that would have been readable. So um, that being said, we have the, the original policy, of course, that you can, that anyone can look at against the, the new policy. Um, the changes, the other changes aside of the dollar threshold were called out within the context of this presentation, so we're also contained in the slides. Um, I'm not sure if that answers your question or if it's helpful for you at all to hear that. Well, I mean, I, I understand that perhaps um, we could have like, you know, new section, right? You know, listed there that, you know, where there's a completely additional section that shows up compared to the previous one or maybe a bubble off to the side rather than having each wordsmith that the purposes of this edits to this section is to achieve X. I mean, just something that I appreciate the description in 10 slides, but it is a rather extensive appendix. So again, just to be able to show how this, the thinking was going into the document as it currently stands. Sure. Um, and I'm not entirely, through the commission president, I'm not entirely sure we had new sections. Again, I think we just had extensive changes throughout the entire policy directive. So we, we do have a red line available. It just isn't anything that is pleasing to the eye. All right, I see Commissioner Hasegawa would like to make a comment. Um, a question. I'm wondering if the update to the definition of interlocal agreement has any legal impact whatsoever on with any of the entities with which we currently have an ILA. The definition for interlocal agreements is basically just taken directly from the statute. So uh, it is no change just included in the delegation for clarity. Okay. 
And then I think my comment is that I am interested to a conversation about the implications of a sunset. I like the idea of forcing a conversation for this to be revisited. For example, $300,000 10 years ago doesn't mean $300,000 today. Um, so I do think it does need to be reviewed on a regular basis, whether a sunset's the way to do that, I'm not sure. But I would be supportive of perhaps some sort of an amendment that would require review um, in the future. And then one more note, Mr. Commission President. Um, we do have a sectional analysis actually broken down in the commission memo that explains all of the changes that were made to the policy directive. Okay. Um, well, the, we've had some terrific suggestions during this discussion. As a reminder, this is the introduction. We will uh, have a second reading resolution uh, in two weeks, December 13th. Is that correct? Yeah. So I think that gives us ample opportunity to... Um, see if we can incorporate some of these ideas um, for the final reading. Any other comments or questions before I call for a motion? One more comment, Mr. Commission President. Um, as far as a periodic review for commission policy documents, that's a pretty standard provision. We do the same thing for commission bylaws, which needs to be reviewed every three years. So then why haven't we reviewed this in 13 years? That I don't know. Sounds okay, like so. you came up with an excellent <laughs> idea, Commissioner Chill. All right. Um, yeah. Uh, Commissioner, can I just add, um, going back to Commissioner uh, Mohammed's comment about other ports, I think I think it's important to note too is that other ports may, in Washington State were organized one way, but other, you know, their relation like LA is part of the city government. Uh, San Diego is probably more similar to us, but Port of New York, New Jersey is a, a port authority, and so there's different different uh, making sure we're comparing apples to apples. But as part of that process, we'll go back and take a look at that as well. So. Okay, is there a motion and a second? I actually have a question, sorry. Uh, go ahead, Commissioner Mohammed. Uh, my question is actually about just process. You said, Commissioner Calkins, that we're, this is gonna come back to us in two weeks for a vote, is that correct? Correct. Um, when is that commission two weeks, including December and the holidays. I just feel like that is a little rushed. I don't know if that's a conversation to ha that I should have with Clerk Hart at a later time, but I do feel like that is rushed. All right. Uh, we can't, does the second reading have to be two weeks after the first reading? Uh, it does not, Mr. Commission President. Um, All right. Why don't, I, Commissioner Mohammed? why don't you and I take that offline? Uh, it may not be my choice here in another month, so, uh, but I will do my darndest to um, get the, uh, your intentions uh, passed on to whoever takes over. Um, okay, with that, is there a motion and a second? So moved. I'll second. All right, the item has been moved and seconded. Uh, Clerk Hart, can you please call the roll for the vote? Commissioners, please say aye or nay when your name is called. Before we take the vote, I just need to get a little bit of clarity on the December 13th date because we are actually pretty much on agenda setting for that meeting. So um, we, we need to talk relatively soon about the date. Yeah, maybe we circle up right after this meeting. Sure. Okay, so um, and with the purpose of delaying not bringing it forward on the 13th be to just have a public conversation on the follow-up, the questions that were asked here, 
as opposed to just getting information to the commission that they've asked for? The project team doesn't have anything in addition to present aside well, of the follow-up to the questions here. Right. And, and potential amendments. And potential amendments, yes. So we can continue that conversation later. For the vote, beginning with Commissioner Cho for introduction. Aye. Thank you. Commissioner Felleman. Aye. Thank you. Commissioner Hasegawa. Aye. Thank you. Commissioner Mohammed. Aye. Thank you. Commissioner Calkins. Aye. Thank you. Five ayes, zero nays for this item. All right. With that, the item passes. Uh, the resolution will again be before the commission on some future date. Uh, potentially the 13th or later for consideration of adoption. Clerk Hart, can you please read the next item into the record? We'll then hear from Executive Director Metric to introduce the item. Yes, and just thinking um, Dave Soike on the line, um, if you haven't slept yet, you can probably do that now. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, Commissioners. Good night, Dave. This is agenda item 10D, um, and I believe Commissioner Mohammed is exiting the meeting at this time. 10D for the reading, authorization for the executive director to spend environmental remediation funds for 2023 in the amount of $11 million and to approve a five-year spending plan in the amount of $103 million for the environmental remediation liability program for 2023 through 2027, of which an estimated not to exceed amount of $30 million will be obligated during 2023 to be spent in future years. Commissioners, so this is an annual authorization request. Environmental remediation projects define and minimize threats to the environment caused by the effects of historic industrial activity on properties acquired by the port, prior port operations, and prior port tenants operations. The port is planning to make significant investments over the next five years in a variety of projects which will not only meet our obligations but also allow us to move forward on our mission to improve sustainability and, and quality of life in near port communities. Today we seek your approval for a five-year spending plan to address a number of these cleanup activities and we look forward to regular reporting on our progress in these efforts. The presenters are Sarah Auger, Director of Maritime Environment and Sustainability, Kathy Bannock, uh, Senior Manager, Maritime Environment and Sustainability, and Megan King, Senior Program Manager, Aviation Environmental Program. So with that, I'm going to turn it over to Sarah. There you are, Sarah. All right. Uh, thank you, and uh, good afternoon, Commission. Um, as Steve, uh, Executive Director uh, Metric, has mentioned, uh, we're here today to uh, ask you to consider approval of our 2023 Euro authorization and our five-year spending plan for that program. I just wanted to set a little context and some reminder that, again, this is one of multiple environmental funds that the port uses for our environmental programs. We also have an, uh, an operating program budget, a capital projects budget. Uh, we have projects with partners that include some of their contributions and funds. And then, of course, there's the Earl, which we're here to talk about today. Um, and then I also just wanted to highlight uh, what I'm proud of, that our financial department and our uh, program staff have worked diligently and quite successfully on cost recovery to support this program too over the multiple years. So that concludes my introductory remarks and I'd really like to hand it over to Kathy Bonick, our program expert here, to talk you through a little more detail. Thank you, sir. Good afternoon, Commissioners, Executive Director Metric. Happy to be here. Um, this funding, as I said, is an annual authorization. We come to Commission at this time every year for the authorization. 
<clears throat> this funding is to perform investigations, identify cleanup approaches, and to design cleanup and perform cleanups of legacy contamination under federal and state cleanup regulations. Many of the sites are multi-party sites with two or, three, two or three or more other parties and can take 20 years or more to get to completion. The status of the various sites included in this authorization were described in the memo. For most of the work funded by this authorization, we've gone to commission separately for authorization to enter into the legal agreements which obligate us to do the, the work. The work under these agreements for some of these more complicated sites can take up to 20 years. Most of the funding for this work comes from the tax levy, that's for the maritime sites, and some of it comes from the airport development fund for the sites that are located on the airport. Currently, for the sites using the tax levy funds, there are 14 that we're working on. Six sites are an investigation and cleanup uh, uh, approach identification. One is in design and seven are in post-construction maintenance and monitoring. The largest and most expensive sites under this authorization are the sediment sites like Lower Duwamish and East Waterway, which are expected to begin construction phase in four to six years. On the aviation side, five underground fueling systems have been decommissioned under this program. Three have been cleaned up and two are in process. Additionally, Laurel Lakes and Laurel Lakes Apartments have been cleaned up and are in post-construction maintenance and monitoring. For many of these sites, the port is not the entity that caused the contamination, but it is the current property owner and has elected to take initial responsibility to manage and pay for the investigation and cleanup and then seek proportional recovery of its costs from other liable parties in order to make the progress on the cleanups and the sites more quickly for a better impact to the community. Um, that's, that is my presentation and we're open for any questions you may have. Well, that was a great time. <laughs> All right, um, questions from commissioners? Commissioner Feldman. I have a couple simple ones. I don't think I'll stump the stars on this, but um, I, I, I see the, uh, there's a thing referred to as the Elliott Bay Trustee Council. I, I've never heard that term. I mean, I've heard of PRPs and other great acronyms. Could you tell me what this uh, entity is? Yeah, so it is the, um, the entity that manages the ecological impacts due to the contamination. So EPA or, or ecology manages the chemical contamination and the trustees handle ecological impacts. So, so they the do same, the NERDA? It's NERDA, yeah. It's the same regulation, but just different parts. You see, I knew there was another acronym there. Yeah, so we have is, tons of acronyms. This is the NERDA team. Okay, bunch of nerds. All right, and so um, the only other one was, uh, was with regards to the T5 cleanup, and I understand that the... Um, there is this, uh, there's this dump, right? And I was just wondering whether this is connected to CEM. Because I'm, cause I saw the subsidence at T5 with the railroad tracks. And I, I saw some map that showed like the, the, the waste, the dump site that CEM sits on might extend into T5. Is this all one big nightmare? <laughs> it's not one big nightmare. <laughs> but it was one big landfill. And when they redeveloped T5, they ended up removing some of the landfill material at one portion and piling it on top of another portion of the landfill, and that's where the CEM is. And then they built um, some pretty heavy 
concrete structures for the stability where the old landfill that's now left still remains. Okay, so the as part of the T5 Southwest Harbor redevelopment, the port purchased the old landfill and installed the cap and methane collection system. Right. So what are we doing with the methane? Currently, um, it's basically it goes through a carbon uh, carbon system. We've looked at it to see if it was generating enough methane that we could actually do something with it. And it really isn't, it's an old, old landfill. It doesn't really generate much, but we want to make sure it's not impacting any buildings near the landfill. Okay, so. It just goes through a carbon system. You don't think it's recoverable? No, we looked and it wasn't. Even with the Climate Commitment Act and all that other good stuff? It's know. really a small Minimal. amount. All right. Yeah. But we can, we'll look at it again. I mean, because there's all sorts of, you know, CEM is a waste site. We've got uh, Nucor, which is waste heat. Yeah. And we have the wastewater system underneath CEM that's from like Burien or something. And now we have waste methane. Yeah. I mean, I want to do something on CEM that's an alternative with all that waste. Okay. Anyway, thank you so much. Any other, uh, Commissioner Hasegawa? I'm um, wondering if any of this will impact members of the public's ability to fish off the docks recreationally. Well, hopefully it will help that in the long run when the cleanups get done. But in the, in the meanwhile, will there you know, be any closures or anything like that? No, there's, okay. there are fishing advisors, totally. advisories, and they will remain until and probably after the cleanups are done. But nothing physically preventing people from going down and casting their lines. Okay. Yeah. And then I'm also wondering if what the um, if there's been any intergovernmental work done with the tribes around some of these projects and what's to come. The tribes have, um, especially for the federal sites, they have a role in doing review of all the documents that are generated. Um, they end up as a a government to government with EPA and so they they get to review everything and have some input but no direct relationship or conversation with the Port of Seattle around the cleanup you know we we talk to them but we really don't want to get in between that government to government relationship mm -hmm. okay and if I could add uh, in addition anytime we were doing implementation action we would be yes. uh, at that point working with the tribes Thank and you. cooperating on uh, avoiding any impact and as there's ongoing community engagement, um, the, the commission will be advised on some of those efforts and opportunities to be able to assist in some of that. Thank you. Okay. Uh, is there a motion and a second for this item? So moved. And seconded. All right. The motion was made and seconded. Clerk Hart, can you please call the roll for the vote? Commissioners, please say aye or nay when your name is called. For the vote, beginning with Commissioner Chen. Aye. Thank you, Commissioner Fellman. Aye. Thank you, Commissioner Hoskawa. Aye. Thank you, Commissioner Calkins. Aye. Okay, four ayes, zero nays for this item. All right, that, with that, the motion passes. Keep up the great work, Kathy and others on the team, and Sarah and others on the team who are doing this great work for our community. We're now moving to item 11, presentations and staff reports. Clerk Hart, can you please read the first item into the record, and then Executive Director Metric, will you introduce it? Quite possibly my shortest reading of the day. 11A, 2022 Public Art Program Annual Report. <laughs> Commissioners, 
2019, under your leadership, we created the Portwide Arts and Cultural Program Policy Directive. This annual report uh, will provide you an update on. Uh, I'm not. What, will provide you an update on the delivery of major art installations, collection restoration, asset management, status of funds, and how the team incorporates equity, diversity, and inclusion principles into the art program. The presenters uh, this afternoon are Lance Little, Aviation Managing Director, Tommy Gregory, Senior Public Art Program Manager and Curator, and Annabelle Govic, uh, Public Art Program Coordinator. So with that, I guess, Lance, I'm going to turn it over to you first. Lance? Yes, thank you, Steve. Good afternoon, commissioners. Can everyone hear me? Testing and you. Can you hear me? Loud and clear. Thanks. Okay, great. This works then. Okay, uh, so uh, good afternoon, commissioners. Thank you very much, Steve. Um, before um, I ask Tommy and Annabelle to get into the details of the annual um, report, I just wanted to spend a few minutes, maybe about five minutes, commissioners, just to talk about the strategic importance um, of art. Art has, um, on many occasions, been treated as the, point of a better term, the stepchild. And I think it's important for me and Tommy and the team to talk about the strategic um, value of art. On many occasions, for example, we're going through a budgeting process. It's, the question comes up, why are we even allocating resources to art? We don't need art to run an airport or to run the port or to run an organization. And this question comes up on several occasions. So I think it's important to just spend a few minutes before the annual report just to discuss the strategic value of art. Next slide, please. Okay, so um, as you can see from the excerpts from the, the port um, mission, you know, creating opportunities for all, partnering with surrounding communities, promoting social responsibilities, and you look at the mission statement for the art program, you can see that there is alignment. And if there is alignment between both missions, it means that they, um, we can actually use art to enhance or to further enhance um, the, the mission, the vision of the airport and also of the port. And I think it's important, again, that um, we understand the context in which we use art to achieve our strategic outcome. Next slide, please. So before um, I get into some of the specifics of how art actually fits into the, um, us realizing our long-term goals, for example, getting to a five-star airport, I think it's important that we try to view art sometimes through a different um, lens. One of the things I've always said is I, I'll never argue about is you know, politics, religion, and art. It's like three topics that people get very passionate about. So I'm going to go out on a limb because I'm very passionate about art. And I'm going to um, just ask that of some of the people who question why we allocate resources to art and art, why is art even in the airport, I'd just like to ask to think about it through a different lens. For example, art, art is like a different, it's like a language um, all by itself. Art is able to say things that words sometimes just cannot say. It's really an international language that anyone from anywhere can understand and can be inspired by. Art also tells the story of many of you know. It's important because it's a way of, we have documented and preserved um, our history um, in the past. You know, historic art um, tells a story about society and how cultures were. It's very important. Art is therapeutic to many, many people. It evokes emotions. 
Um, sometimes not necessarily the emotion that the artist wants, you know, but it evokes emotion, whether it's happiness, joy, sometimes confusion, sadness um, as well. And sometimes, um, you know, it makes us wonder, puts us in awe. So it's very important. Also, I think art um, and creativity goes together. That's why, you know, when we're kids, we give or, or when we're kids or we have kids, we give them crayons, we give them paintbrush to start um, painting, start doing art, start learning music. So it, so they get extremely creative. I think both of them goes together. And then just the basics, the, the aesthetic. Art makes graphic places just look really great, right? Drab places look amazing. And then I just want to, the last one I want to talk about is the economic um, value um, of art. Um, you have heard me say it many times, Commissioner, they take cash to care. Uh, we can care all we want. I can't take care to the supermarket and purchase anything. I think we have the ability at the port to, to, to not only to, to create, but also to continue what we're doing in art to provide career for um, people who have an interest in art. As I told Tommy and the, um, the team uh, at the conference that was held here, the art conference that was held here, I had to make a decision when I was leaving high school. My passion was to pursue a career in the arts. And I had to make a decision between pursuing that career in art or paying the bills. And I had to make an or decision, pay the bills. That's why I did not pursue that career. I think we have the ability to provide an environment in which people can actually do both, right? They can pursue a career in art and at the same time, they can actually pay the bills. And I think we have been doing that, and we need to continue doing that. Uh, commissioners, I don't know if any of you were able to attend the Vincent Van Gogh um, Immersive that was held in here in Seattle a few months ago. Um, if you missed it and you can catch it in another city, it's, it, it reflects and looks at the life of one of the most talented, yet one of the most troubled artists who have paintings now that are worth $80 million, $60 million, but yet throughout his lifetime, he basically made no money um, from art. We would like to create an environment in which artists actually make money while they're alive. And I think we have done a very good job of it, and we need to continue. Now, getting back now to the specific strategy for the airport, for Maritime, for the, um, for the Port of Seattle, we celebrate getting to four-star. We're one of the few airports that I've gotten to four-star, actually the only large of airports, I think, that I've gotten to four-star in, in the USA, and we celebrate that. But at the same time, we question, why are we providing so much resources to art, or why are we providing any resource to art when we are um, restricting resources in other areas? And we talk about, um, you might hear Julie Collins talk about the 32 categories that we actually have to score well in in order to become a four-star and then a five-star airport. Art is actually one of those categories, and a lot of people, I think, don't realize that, and I think it's important for me to point that out. Next slide, please. So the reason why we got to four-star, one of the reasons why we got to four-star is because we actually have a good art program, and you can see the scores that got us there. In order for us to get to a five-star rated airport, we have to have a five-star rated art program as well. So art is actually one of the categories that the Skytrax people actually rate us on. I, I don't think a lot of people realize that. And so if we're celebrating the fact that we're a four-star airport, I think we should also understand why we allocate resources to art. Next slide, please. 
I thought it was important to just share this, just this excerpt from the actual report. We're delighted to see the use of large immersive artwork in many of the new and exciting existing spaces and their emerging wall factors in how the terminal design is being developed. This is an excerpt from the actual report, um, Skytrax report that got us to our four-star rating. Next slide. So commissioners, I think you're probably tired of seeing this piece of the puzzle um, slide, but I think um, to put things into context, I've spoken about the new international arrival facility, all these brand new facilities that we're building and how they get us to the end state or the long-term goal. We've spoken about what we're doing in operations, um, what we're doing on the security side, what we're doing with the TSA checkpoint line, concessions, etc. Art is also a piece of that puzzle that will get us to the five-star rating or can get us to that top 25 airport service quality world ranking that we're trying to get to. So without any further ado, I'm going to hand over to Tommy and Annabelle, who's going to give us um, the 2022 annual report on the art program. Tommy? Thank you so much, Lance. Uh, and thank you, commissioners and executive director, uh, executive director uh, metric. Um, Lance, that was very inspiring. It's, it, we couldn't be successful without uh, strong support and leadership um, and uh, a, a very strong public art board. We've had a, a great 2022, um, um, some highs and lows uh, throughout the year, but the art program has maintained steady. And um, we, we do uh, have a lot of that uh, to thank for um, because of great leadership and support. Um, what, we, what we've done this, uh, in 22 is we've solidified ourselves to have one of the most healthy public art CIP budgets in the nation. Uh, and that came with a lot of help. Uh, if we look back at the uh, uh, internal audit we had, which was actually quite supportive in, in breaking down the numbers for us to get to this uh, CIP pool. But we've also been um, working really hard to use those. Like Lance said, if, if they're, they're here for the public. So we're creating opportunities for local, regional, and, and national, and eventually international artists to apply to these great opportunities within SEA, and, and as, a, as we are growing as a port-wide program on the maritime and economic divisions. Uh, approximately, uh, as you see here, 650000 were spent this year in aviation funds. Uh, that doesn't include expenses, um, which is how we uh, handle our conservation efforts. Uh, speaking of conservation efforts, we, we have um, made a good leap in 22 by hiring uh, our second um, uh, sorry, our third, uh, FTE and Pete Fleming, who is our public art technician, will be handling a really big job in uh, maintenance and um, uh, conservation coordination with Annabelle on uh, the overall collection at SEA. And that's a big endeavor, and he's been great to work with. Um, um, in addition to that, uh, the busy uh, conservation and maintenance here, we've also added some fantastic works, uh, which are some of them are very hard to miss, and international rivals. And I'll hand the uh, the mic back over, or over to Annabelle Glavik, our public art coordinator, uh, to talk about some of those um, nice additions to the collection this year. Thank you, Tommy. Um, next slide,
Next slide. A little bit of technical difficulty. Apologies. Since we're waiting for this, uh, I just ask a question of you, Tommy, and the team. Is how do we define art? How do we fund it? How do we define it? How do we define it? What's the definition of art? That's a that's a big question. No, no. I mean, like, I'm a, I'm asking a practical question here yeah. at the Port of Seattle. What do we consider as art? Well, there's, I mean, there's a, a wide, uh, wide range of ways we could define that. There's performance art. There's music. There's visual art, so that's um, right. objects like this that Annabelle will talk about in, in our cases, kind of cultural uh, elements. And then there's major construction project, um, kind of monumental site-specific installations, which we can talk about a couple of those. But yeah, no, that's a good question. I didn't mean to. Yeah, so when we say we have $27 million for art, are we saying we have $27 million for physical art or performing arts as well, or? That, that dollar figure for CIP is, uh, unfortunately, we can't use capital money for, uh, you know, temporary elements. So we can't use temporary art. We can't use performing art for those CIP. But that $27 million, although it's healthy, that goes towards engineering, permitting, um, structural. Uh, there's a lot of, it's a job creator, like Lance said. There's more, that, that doesn't go to one artwork as a purchase. That goes to the team of people. And, and is that restriction self-imposed? It is self-imposed, to my knowledge. Yeah. Do, do we know the thinking? All right, it looks like we're back up awesome. on our slide deck. Annabelle, please continue. Thank you. Good afternoon, commissioners. Good afternoon, executive director metric. Um, on this slide, uh, we are going to talk about the capital project that we've been working on. Um, if you remember back in fall 2020, uh, there was a group of 10 for, um, high school interns that presented the concept to incorporate more indigenous artworks at um, Seattle-Tacoma International Airport. Um, fast forward to July 2021, um, thanks to your approval, we had a budget to purchase uh, artworks for the new uh, IAF International Building. Um, this acquisition happened back in the fall of 2021, and here you have two pictures showing some of those artworks. Um, total, we got uh, 30 artworks. Um, the goal was to welcome international travelers to the region by creating a visual representation of a land acknowledgement and also support local and regional uh, artists. Uh, on the left, you have an artwork by Prison Singletary, and then on the left, on the right, you have um, more artworks by uh, Lisa Telford, uh, Gail Tremblay, uh, Joe Federson. Um, and one presidency. Uh, yes, one, one person signatory as well. Um, next, next slide, please. Thank you. Um, here you have more of this uh, recent acquisition. On the left, you have Raya Friday with uh, water series, um, 11 artworks made of glass. And on the right, uh, we have the Mary Watt that's um, placed as you exit the IF. Um, and then, uh, next slide, please. Go ahead, Tommy. Oh, great, yeah. So speaking of uh, Pete Fleming, this is a couple of pictures of Pete installing some work in his new role as public art technician. Uh, these works were also acquired during a, 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 one of those extremely difficult times in tw early 2020. Uh, we procured, uh, we um, solidified a small budget for acquisitions. We did an open call. We had a, a huge amount of uh, uh, um, applicants that 
submitted fabulous works, predominantly of the two-dimensional nature, and these were dedicated for our new uh, uh, credential center, so our uh, employee services center. Um, and inside that facility um, are a number of works from local artists. Here on the left is Jennifer Zwick, uh, a piece titled Yes, and then uh, uh, Gretchen Francis Bennett. Uh, this piece, uh, Light Through the Trees, actually exhibited at the Fry Museum before we were acquired it. So it's a museum, these are all museum quality pieces, in my opinion, and add uh, some great value and also great color to our collection. Uh, next slide, please. Uh, in addition to this, uh, these efforts of uh, collaborating with projects like that uh, Credential Center and adding works to them, we've been working really uh, closely with our uh, project managers and our uh, architecture group, and we are um, working with them on restroom modifications. Right now we're working phase four, uh, and next year we'll be uh, working in phase five. Um, in phase four, we are really, really fortunate to have uh, an international artist, Maya Petrich, who lives in Sammamish, uh, but uh, is uh, Croatian born, if I'm not mistaken, a very pleasant and brilliant human being who um, is going to be installing very soon uh, one of our first um, dynamic kind of interactive uh, light-based artworks called we, we the Stars, and it'll be outside of uh, the new modified restroom in B9. On the right uh, is just a still image of because this piece um, is just going through contract now but with a, a, another local artist, Emily Tanner McLean, and I'm uh, extremely happy to, to let you all know in this annual report that this is our first, or I'm pretty sure to say first, but it's our only um, video artwork added to our collection. And I know that we're going to do many more. We're in Texas City, USA. We should have more technologically charged work. So Emily's bringing in the first one, and that'll be at uh, Restroom C2. And we've got great support from the team to make sure that she's got adequate backing on the wall to handle the, um, the weight of the screens and also the, uh, the power needed in those locations. Uh, um, another kind of extremely excited moment for us all, and especially our program working with uh, the project team and Mandy Zagoras and uh, Colette Deardorff and, and et cetera, there's a lot of people uh, on that team. But um, Restroom D2, which is the all gender restroom, Annabelle wrote uh, in, um, a pretty concise request for qualifications, which is out to the street right now, and we're, we're having a, a nice wave of applicants applying with the works for this location. Uh, this all-gender restroom is just one of a few in the country, uh, and we're extremely uh, excited to be able to, to have a healthy budget there in acquiring a good amount of work. So now we're just looking to uh, collect one work from one artist. We're going to have almost a salon-style wall. Uh, that will that will, will greet visitors uh, as they get off their planes and need to use our facilities there. Uh, they'll see some original works. So next slide, please. Um, oh, another exciting one. So we uh, we um, conducted another RFQ, so request for qualifications, and uh, working with CPO on this, uh, and Annabelle working really closely with them, uh, we conducted a call which generated, I want to say, around 60, uh, approximately uh, 50 applicants. Um, we were fortunate to get uh, an international artist in this in this round, Sabine Marcellus, who is going to be working with uh, the benches and the uh, canopy um, area of the Widen Arrivals project. And then on the right, you see uh, Brian Sanchez. He's a local artist. He's working with a mosaic company out of Titan. He's known for his really large abstract paintings, but he's looking to do a, a mosaic tile on this giant retaining wall, which is going to be um, basically the entryway into our new arrivals. So uh, exciting and happy to be working with uh, some diverse artists here on this Widen Arrivals project. Um, next slide, please. So I, I can hand it back over to Annabelle to talk about what the next uh, stages are 
uh, next steps are for our public art program. Sure, thank you, Tommy. Um, here's a list of our main capital projects for the next five years. And as you can see, we're going to be really busy, which is really exciting. Um, like Tommy mentioned, we are working right now about the Wadena Rivals um, project. Next year, we're going to make more focus on the restroom phase five, as uh, the checkpoint one as well, uh, duty-free in the air conquers. Um, and yeah, this is just the beginning, but uh, it's going to be a, a busy year next, uh, next year for sure. Um, next slide, please. Oh, thank you. Um, so our department is port-wide, so we are been lucky to be working with um, maritime managers um, about the MINK, Maritime Innovation Center. Uh, two artists have been selected, uh, Thai Juvenile and Shogo Oda. Um, I am happy to report that one of them signed his contract, and I'm sure the other artist should be uh, uh, giving us his contract uh, as well, which is really exciting. Uh, we'll be moving to the design phase um, pretty soon. And we have been working closely with maritime and economic development to create an outpour for projects happening on the maritime side. Um, next slide, please. And then here is the public art program in a nutshell. <laughs> uh, it explains um, the process for us to uh, commission your artworks. Um, so it begins with a, a scope and a budget, and then like Tommy was saying, we release RFQs, uh, request for qualification. Um, like Tommy said, we have run, one right now for the D2 Old General Restroom. Um, it's open nationwide. People are more than welcome to apply for it. Uh, We're going to have many more happening in the upcoming months. Um, and then a selection panel is going to regroup, review all of the submission, and make a decision. Um, I think it's important to note that me and Tommy do not make a decision about uh, what is going to be commissioned. The panel makes a decision. Um, and then we work with many collaborators, uh, CPO, uh, the engineer's department, the architects, fire department. And then you have the, main, the three main phases, the design, fabrication, and installation. And then next slide, please. Uh, and then go ahead, Tommy. Yeah, and, and we, we put that slide in as just a, another reminder. There's, we don't know if there, there are new people from last year, but uh, it's just good to know the, the public art process. Um, so our conservation efforts uh, are always strong. We know that what we're collecting, we want to be good stewards of those, of those assets. Uh, next slide, please. Um, this was the first, uh, and we thought uh, for a short time, the only, but there was one other we, uh, neon piece we found in our collection, and I say we found because it had been defunct for some time, and we're hoping to restore that as well. So there are two neon pieces in the collection. This was the first, and uh, it, it sadly was damaged in transit because of a construction project that was uh, basically re requiring it to be relocated. Uh, when it was, um, wasn't moved by art handlers, unfortunately we had to work with uh, internal uh, teammates, and when it moved, a neon tube broke. We're working with a really um, established and, and low, small business, a Noble Neon, which is in South Seattle, and they're assisting us on the um, repair for this job. And then Pete Fleming and myself, uh, I have a background in neon work myself in my own studio practice, and I'm gonna assist on that installation with Pete. 
Uh, so we'll be able to handle that in-house, uh, aside from the, the great work that uh, Noble Neon is providing on the restoration of that damage too. So this piece that was uh, acquired back in 1973 will be lit before Christmas, and we're happy that uh, our uh, holiday travel travelers will see that neon piece uh, in its uh, um, best fashion, back to life. Uh, next slide, please. Uh, so in, in the efforts of trying to not only care for the collection um, from the, the major pieces, there's also functional pieces. We're lucky to have Brian Swanson's piece on the left called Indiscreet. It's kind of a uh, kind of steampunkish, uh, really a, a fan favorite from our, our visitors. Those seats are always populated. There's three little seats that are, are, are kind of intertwined together in this metal sculpture. And um, you can see on the left, Pete did a nice cleaning job. And on the right is what it looks like when people are spilling coffee or sandwich uh, debris uh, as they sit there waiting on their flight. So although uh, the functionality of the work is, is great, it does take on some, uh, some um, wear and tear, which I'm glad, uh, again, to, to say that uh, our public art technician is handling those efforts. Uh, next image is Northwest Garnering. This, William Morris, Billy Morris, as a lot of them know in the uh, Puget Sound area, um, household name in the glass world. Uh, but this piece is going to be uh, required to be packed and stored and relocated because of Checkpoint One uh, construction efforts, which are coming up in 2023. This is going to be a major uh, endeavor for us to, to disassemble this old case, which houses Northwest Garnering, and is going to uh, have us have to repurpose the way we show all of these glassworks. And as Commissioner Feldman knows, I, I want to reiterate, this is all glasswork on the right. There is no animal... Uh, um, bones or fragments used in this artwork. Um, next slide, please. So going into temporary works, uh, there's some works just right outside of this mezzanine on the, on the uh, ticketing level, which we're really proud of, because this, this temporary exhibit that we have here at, at SEA was a part of Refract, which is kind of a citywide glass campaign celebrating um, the glass in the Pacific Northwest. Uh, the next slide shows that um, uh, a sample of those. So Raya Friday, you saw that name earlier. Raya was um, collected in her collection, but also we thought it was a good idea to include her in this temporary exhibit with her brother, uh, Dan Friday. So these are both uh, um, Coast Salish artists, uh, glass workers, and, um, and most recently, Dan Friday got some uh, international fame with being on Netflix's series, Blown Away, uh, the third series, and he was one of the um, last contestants in that. So just cool to have um, some, some local glass work by indigenous artists that are also getting really great national recognition. On the right is Granite Kalimpong, he recently, uh, a Filipino artist, glass worker, um, who also has a background in ceramics. What you see in this case is a combination of his ceramic work with uh, molten glass poured into it. So you, it has this weird liquefied version, but it's, it's all static. Uh, and an amazing teacher, uh, and also recently a, a graduate from the University of Washington in their uh, sculpture department. Next slide shows uh, some more works. Um, th these aren't temporary. These, this is kind of a longer story for an annual report. But um, these works we kind of uh, uh, obtained through uh, um, a defunct Clark Hart, um, can you lounge in the that, airport. Uh, oh, sorry. People can hear Tommy. Oh, my too far. We might have lost the main link. Hang on. Hello? Okay. Give us a moment. We'll redial back into the room. Right. It's an own issue. In the meantime, we can return to our you graduate level story. seminar on what is art. Okay. <laughs> so this is art. Uh, so these were pieces that we uh, we reclaimed an old lounge, 
And in that old lounge, there, Annabelle actually discovered these inside of a cabinet. Um, and these are, are artists by uh, artworks by DM Cho. Um, she's very well known artist in the region. Uh, taught at um, Cornish. Uh, but she stumbled upon these inside of this, this cabinet, which was going to get demoed, and they became the assets of, of the port. So these are now our artworks by DM Cho. We contacted her, let her know that she's, uh, it was a part of the Delta collection, which, uh, you know, got lost hands, and now we, we own these works. Um, but what we're looking at are, are porcelain objects uh, with glass objects and then hand-carved That would, it usually would be. Okay. You get, yeah. <laughs> I have thick skin. It's a known issue with the link to the house sale. So ICT is working on it, but it's not resolved yet. Welcome to the audio conferencing center. Please enter a conference ID followed by pound. joining the meeting. And it's back. Yeah, sorry about that. Uh, thank you for the patience, everyone. Um, yeah, so we were just going into a brief discussion or description of how this is a part of a temporary exhibit, but these works are actually in the collection um, by artist at DM Cho. She uh, quite well known in the region and, and taught at Cornish. I don't know if she's still teaching there, but I'll have to look into that. Um, next slide, please. Um, more work. Uh, also, uh, you know, in our beautiful new um, exhibit cases, uh, these are down on the STS level near our meditation and center room and the inner prayer room. Um, our, on the left is artist Sean Hennessy. He's, he's a South Seattle artist, uh, glass worker as well. Uh, again, being a part of the Refract exhibit, these were uh, all works that had some component of glass in them. Uh, Henry Jackson Speaker uh, did the works uh, with the kind of orbs, the, the colored orbs, hollow, poor, green, blue, and clear. Uh, he's a great mixed race artist in the region. Almost, I want to say he's kind of become a friend. He worked on the Morella Zacharias piece in the International Rivals Facility, but he's a great artist in his own right. And we'll be having a solo exhibit at the Mad Art in January. So if you all get a chance to support one of our local artists, you could see his work there. Uh, Peyton Cahill and Jack Fowler are the closing out the, this temporary exhibit with the Glassworks. Uh, they're both up and coming artists. They're right out of school. They're just getting out of their uh, undergraduate programs. But um, I, I discovered their work when I visited Pilchuck Glass School and extremely excited to see like just, just kind of contemporary 21st century glasswork being done by young individuals. Um, next slide, please. Oh, and uh, uh, jumping from the airport to Pier 69 and Pier 66. Extremely happy to have made progress in working with the Schmidt Ocean Institute. And thanks to our board and specifically uh, Commissioner Fellman on the board for helping um, spur that uh, collaboration along uh, during the pandemic. And we've seen that to fruition over the last few months. Uh, the pieces look great. Uh, you'll see some at Pier 66 and Pier 69. And that should go throughout the year. It's a six-month-long exhibit with the... Uh, uh, option to add uh, three to six months, um, depending on uh, the facility's usage. But um, 
yeah, we should be having a reception for those works in the very near future, and we'll keep you up to date on that. Next slide, please. Other projects. I think I'm handing this. Oh, I'm sorry. I have a couple more other projects. Next slide, please. Uh, so we wanted to talk about other things in 2022, and um, uh, aside from conservation, maintenance, acquisitions, we did, uh, as Lance mentioned, hosted the AAAE Arts in the Airports Conference. And, and that is a big deal. I think that if a tree falls in the woods, does it make a noise kind of thing? We had over 55 public art professionals throughout North America, so Austin, Bergstrom, Denver, Portland, Vancouver, uh, public art administrators from those airports, to name a few, uh, were here and um, toured our collection, not only at the airport, but at Pier 69 uh, and, and throughout the city. We had public art speakers like the De La Torre brothers, uh, who are awesome Latino um, glass blowers and just artists in their own right, who are uh, the current um, exhibit at Cheech Marin's Museum in LA County. Uh, they, they were speakers. Uh, we had Donna Davies from Pilchuck Glass School, Preston Singletary, Charles Modede from The Stranger, just a great diverse group of amazing presenters that basically not only highlighted the strength of our collection, but the city of Seattle's, uh, like the beauty all, all, all around this city and art having a huge component of, of why it is so fun to, to live and work in this uh, region. Uh, so just wanted to remind everybody that that happened and it was quite a success. And thanks for all the people who helped make that happen. Not only Annabelle, Pete, Daphne, our intern, but uh, a grander team from Heather Karch, uh, Mandy Zagoras, um, Lance and, and uh, Patricia Lee. There a lot of people helped um, with uh, making that a success with the our partners in the AAAE. Uh, next slide, please. Oh, Annabelle, go ahead on this. Thank you, Tommy. Um, we were um, asked a few months ago if, um, so the Little Free Library project happened uh, during a Shark Tank event. And um, before the Ensorzos libraries, we were asked if um, we could maybe work with two local artists um, to decorate or make this library um, a bit more friendly and welcoming. So um, on the left, you have the Little Free Library that Ilana Trotsky um, painted of acrylic. It's um, pretty bright colors. And on the right, you have the one by uh, Elizabeth Gunn. And um, this one is a wood burning and acrylic on wood. Um, these are not installed in the terminals yet, but we are hoping that it will happen before the end of the year. Um, so when um, the terminal is busy with uh, travelers, people will get to uh, see that and use the data free libraries. Um, next slide, please. Here's another project that happened a few months ago. It's the Club SCA at the South Satellite. Uh, we purchase artworks from local artists. Uh, on the left, you have uh, Jazz Brown um, in front of his painting, uh, Envious Beauty. And on the right, you have Sean Howie by um, that's right at the entrance of the um, club SCA. But I think it's important to also mention that all the artists, uh, you have Johanna Christensen, Brian Beck, Gillian Theobald, Sean Cardinal, uh, Robert Pritt, and Dan Webb. Um, all of those artists are now, uh, have at least one artwork in the club SCA. Um, and then next slide, please. Um, Beacon, so, this is another really fun project that we've been working on. 
And um, everything started back in April 2021 when Tommy and I presented this idea during a Shark Tank event. Um, so what is a beacon? <laughs> it's a small wireless device that sends Bluetooth low energy, so BLE, signals to a nearby mobile device. All you need to do is open your phone, open the Fly SCA app, and uh, a pop-up notification will show up on your phone, and you get to learn more about artworks in our collections. As of right now, we only have 10% of our collection who has a beacon, but it is our hope to uh, develop this project uh, next year. Um, I think it's important to also uh, we thank the Airport Innovation Development, who's been really helping us uh, develop this project. Uh, also, the customer, uh, department, customer service department who help us update our website so our content is staying fresh and um, really reflective of our collection. Um, next slide, please. So the, the beacon, it's, it's a one-way interaction. It sends information to your phone about the collection. Um, it doesn't receive any information back from your phone. Um, it's a way for us to give an easy access to our collection to our passengers, our employees. Uh, you do not need to be at the airport, by the way, to access our collection. If you go on our website, uh, you can see that we've been working on updating this website. Um, it is a work in progress, but we are hoping to have more artworks on there next year. It's quite um, an endeavor because also when Annabelle started this project, there wasn't great um, documentation. Photographs were, were, some of them were so dated, they weren't really uh, acceptable to be on that website. So you've been doing a good job uh, in making sure that we get proper uh, photographic documentation, but also making sure all the input on the artwork is correct. That was another big feat that when Annabelle was hired in this FTE role, uh, hit the ground running and, and collection management is, is getting a lot tighter. Sorry. Thank you. No, so yeah, we, we are trying to elevate the collection in the 21st century way to, um, for passenger to be more accessible. Um, so think of the beacon like your personal art curator um, right here at your fingertips when you just open your phone and you get to learn more about our collection. Um, I would like also to take a minute to thank our um, internal intern, Daphne Maiden, who's been really helpful on this project. Um, I could not do it without her, so thank you really much. Uh, next slide, please. All right. Thank you. Thank you all for the presentation. Uh, it's okay with you. I'd like to turn it over to commissioners for questions. Commissioner Cho. Yeah, I'm looking at the uh, the art budget here. Is this a, a a compounded budget? I know it's one percent of CIP, so I'm curious. Is this has this been accumulated over many years or how? I mean, major construction projects happening now um, and trying to keep to the most pure 1%, um, that's how that is defined. So for example, um, Checkpoint One uh, had a certain budget level that was public facing. And the public facing is kind of how we determine that overall budget, right? So what, what's gonna be the 1%? It's gonna be the public facing construction. Um, right, but that, at what stage of the construction? What's that? At uh, what stage? Uh, I think whatever the overall budget is is what we are able to absorb. Uh, um, have the overall budget of the project? Of the project, yes. So even if the commission hasn't approved, like if we approve 30% design, 
it's one percent of that or one percent of the entire projected price. I believe you're right on the on the percentage. Yeah, we don't get we don't get a, a prorated. Um, okay, uh, so it's based on what we approve. Yes, mm -hmm. got it. And then um, you, uh, the the child exhibit you mentioned was a temporary one. So, but earlier you told me that you're limited to permanent. So how how does that work? We we do have expense funds. So we're, when we're when we're talking about the way we use capital, that's for acquisitions, commissions. Um, major projects like that. But for temporary exhibits, we're requesting when we do our annual budget requests, we put in a percentage uh, of expense funds for temporary exhibits. Uh, we're not we're not really over the music yet. That's still independently being handled through ADR and uh, specifically Tammy Kaiken has a contract uh, for the music. But we are hoping to be a, a more holistic and, and like tight team and kind of working together and including not only the, the public art program working with the music program, but creating a way to make that also performance art program. So we could have uh, dance, ballet, readings, um, and, and have those come through expense funds. Okay, yeah, I realize that's a slight digression, but I'd like to explore whether or not we should fold those, merge those two into a broader definition of art. Uh, there are other programs that succeed by allowing flexibility in the way they utilize their capital funds. We, okay. could, we could look at other programs. Yeah, though. let's take a look at that. I'd like to see if we can, I mean, $27 million, we only use 650000 It's a lot of un un underutilized funds. So let's let's take a look at that. Thanks. Thank you. Commissioner Hasegawa. So 1% of CIP funds is $27.5 million. Um, and I'm hearing that that is, for the most part, fixed or permanent installations. Do you oversee the non-permanent or like or rotating or performance art mm -hmm. yes. things as well? And then where does funds from that come from? That, that's the operational funds, the expense. And that is not a part of the twenty-seven point five no, million dollars. No, no, because here. because of the you know you can't capitalize on those uh, as assets. So then, all in all, how much money are we putting <coughs> towards the art in the last the arts in the last year, including the fixed or rotating or performance art? exhibits or that's a great or... question commissioner and I, I could get back to you on that I, I sent a, a request out to finance uh, just before this meeting to in case that question was asked so I could get back to you on that and then previously the level of funding was 0.5 percent of CIP for correct? about 10 years for 10 years it was yeah what was it and then when was it changed it, it reduced uh, due to the uh, recession in 2008 2009 uh, the, the port reduced it from 1% to a half percent and okay. it maintained at that reduced rate until I was hired in, at the end of 2018 and basically asked the, for us to revisit that, uh, that funding source or that amount. Is there any such thing as functional art? Yeah, definitely. Mm -hmm. Like something that um, the customers could actually interact with? Right, the yeah, uh, well, the benches that we put on uh, for widened arrivals that are gonna be under the, um, the bus canopy those benches are going to be designed and fabricated by an international artist, Sabine Marcellus. And we, so we look at those as functional works. And I, we, I don't want to assume what she's going to make, but I can almost guarantee it's, it's going to be a, a, have some curb appeal. And then is part of the idea that we would dedicate funds from, our, from CIP towards art that it would improve the customer experience? Exactly. And, and Lance is not wrong to say that, uh, that Skytrax definitely took note of that. Right. And I was fortunate, before I uh, was fortunate to move to Seattle and work here for the Port of Seattle Public Art Program, I worked at, uh, at Houston Hobby, which recently became a five-star airport. 
and I put a very heavy hand in art in that airport, and I guarantee you Skytrax Sky saw that. So uh, um, if you look at that five-star airport, uh, I don't see this being too far out for us if we can continue to invest and have the support that we do have here now. How do you measure, or how does uh, you know an objective party measure customer experience as a result of our art installations? That's an interesting question too, because there are matrix or there's there's financial kind of um, uh, connections that can be made. In SFO, um, some years back, uh, there was a study put out where they had mirrored terminals. Like, so they looked exactly the same, had the exact same concessions, exact same amount of uh, air travel through these uh, passenger uh, foot, foot traffic through these terminals. Um, one side had their public art um, uh, projects complete. The other side they had not completed yet. So over, the, over like a year and a half span, they saw 30% more uh, ADR sales on the spot that had original artworks already integrated into that facility. So to me, like that showed that people are more comfortable uh, in when you're around objects made by human beings and you're around visual culture. Um, so there, there's one kind of like uh, um, kind of budget uh, connection, but I think that any major city, any anywhere we travel, when we go to, on vacation, if we're going to Paris, we're going to the Louvre. If we're going to um, New York, we're going to the Met. I think that people want to go see. Uh, or want to be a part of visual culture. And we are stewards of those. We have a very great collection. We have the longest running aviation collection in the country. So from the uh, Louis Nevelson right outside our doors to the Frank Stella, these are assets that are of museum quality and we're trying to maintain that. So I think that what the definition of art can be, I think we're still, we're still figuring that out because we're, you know, aviation is fairly new, right? In the, in this, in the history of, of mankind. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, public art and art has been going on since cave painting. So I think we're trying to find a way to, to, to say what can it be inside these terminals or, or, or at any of our facilities. Yeah, I'm thinking towards the future and how um, some of our plans and, um, and projects are going to be, or lack thereof, are going to be impacting the customer experience and what we can do to optimize the customer experience. And so I think we do really need to be judicious and intentional about the way that we're spending our money to optimize that customer experience. So thank you so much for that, that no, answering fantastic. that line of questioning. Yeah. Um, I just wanted to share a quick anecdote. I had my uh, first experience coming through that new IAF on my return from um, Japan. And um, I made friends on the plane with my neighbor. And I felt like uh, a tour guide coming through explaining the cedar that's there through the, um, you know, the, en the entryway and then showing them our our beautiful installations and letting them know that, you know, the, the artists drew their inspiration from looking over the San Juan Islands oh, yeah. and, mm -hmm. um, you know, pointing to the hanging aspects and how they're, you know, they're magnetized and that's how they end up spinning. And so we do have, a there's um, a lot of joy and a lot of pride, I think, in our local artistry. And I'm, I'm glad that we have the ability um, to showcase it. And so I just wanted to applaud you for the work in that. Well, lucky passenger to get such a behind the scenes tour of the public <laughs> art collection. Uh, thanks for doing that. And no, it's it's completely our pleasure. This is uh, it, it, I feel like Commissioner oh, Cho, which said, uh, like pointing out that budget and how it's sitting there. It, it's completely our job to try to create opportunities to get these funds to the public. People, artists are are leaving Seattle because of a lot of different reasons, and we're hoping we could keep artists here by creating big opportunities and helping them pay their studio bills and whatnot. Any additional Commissioner Feldman? Well, thank you for all your work on that, both of you. And I've been very proud to be a member of your art committee and have taken great pride in participating to the degree I contribute. 
And I, I got to say, though, with Lance at the lead, I mean, you know, he's not doing it for just the Star Trek's rating. I mean, the, the, the fact that he just, you know, like the fact that, you know, he gets this in a, such a substantive way. I mean, I'm sure it puts wind in your sails to feel that level of support at that high up. And, and but you said something that, um, that we're the longest running art program in. Yeah, we have, well, you know, there's been public art in airports since airports have been built, right, in some form or fashion. But from a civic standpoint and a, and a capital improvement uh, project budget, we, are, we have the longest running official program. Uh, we've been collecting artworks uh, since the late 60s, and we've established a CIP program that kind of set the mold for the rest of the nation when they were um, having uh, public art integrated into their aviation programs. Well, I think we should be touting that. I don't know that that's, you know, I just learned it, but... Um, oh, yeah. I'm just wondering, it sort of like sets a context in which this, you know, exhibits are able to be, you know, built upon. Yeah. And, and in, the, in looking at the way the airport has grown from, you know, it, the placement of the work and how some of that wear and tear happened because we're now seeing 55 million passengers a year uh, and we have to relocate those works for the safety of the works. I feel like we've done a great job. Uh, my predecessors in trying to care for a, a, a big collection in an airport that's super busy. It's very difficult to do, and I'm, I'm just really happy to hear, and you're 100% right, Lance does get it, and it, it is inspiring to have somebody who cares about a profession that is somewhat abstract in a, a port uh, um, you know, entity. And, and so, uh, just, just, just finally, the, um, the, I guess the, the fact that um, you know, our waterfront redevelopment that's going on right now throughout the Elliott Bay area, that, um, that there's so much attention being put to uh, a lot of native art for the most part there, but when we went to Japan, um, there was, uh, I mean, Sean Peterson was with us from Puyallup, and uh, he was there to uh, provide another story pole, which is still in the works, um, but th this was like, our sister, it was either our sister port or our sister city relation, I think it was the port, because they're both there, um, that, that, that the port felt compelled not only to do it originally like 50 years ago, but the fact that it was important enough to, for us to preserve this artistic representation of what it means to be in the Northwest culture. Mm -hmm. um, I, I was delighted to be part, anything to do with something like that. It, just, it also just shows the importance the port puts on, you know, sharing this, you know, artistic cultural exchange. And uh, I think it's a great representation of who we are as a people and the fact that, the, that our welcoming port embraces this and uh, for the world to see. It's, it's a fantastic thing. So I, I look forward to continuing to participate on the committee. And, uh, and this is one thing on the Schmidt Ocean thing. This was just a fortuitous thing that came on. What was interesting was that there's an artist in residence program on board oceanographic vessels. Yeah. I mean, to me, that struck me as such an anomalous thing that, that they actually have practicing artists taking inspiration from the critter they're pulling up, mostly from the deep ocean. Yeah. And so this was just, uh, and the fact that it's self-funded and all that made it, and, but it, it took a lot of work for you guys to hustle to get it together. So thank you for doing that. And uh, you know, novelties like this that come by, that we have to have nimbleness to be able to do that. And that's not what big organizations are known for. Yeah. And so thank you for your work in making that so. No, we appreciate it. And, and having the commission representation on our board. It speaks volumes. Again, I don't think we would be as successful without having that kind of board structure. So thank both commissioners who are on our board and any future commissioners who come on. Uh, 
that support is integral to our success in doing this job. Commissioner Cho. Yeah, I know I, I held back on a, on, on a joke earlier, but I do want to just comment real quickly that in light of my learnings of Lance's career choice, uh, I want to thank you for your career choice, but also I would also like to advocate for a Lance Little exhibit at the airport, and I just really want to see what Lance's artwork looks like, and it, so maybe someday you'll uh, grace us with your uh, artwork. Lance I think it was interpretive in. dance, so we no, can yeah. the main terminal. <laughs> I thought it was those performing right. arts. I'm going <laughs> to change the rules just for you, Lance. Those crayons. Didn't he talk about those crayons? Uh, Executive Director Metric, any comments on this item? No, thanks for all the effort, the support of the commission, but the support of the team that really, um, really advances, and then uh, Lance's leadership on that as well. And I was going to thank Lance too for his career choice as well, knowing that he made uh, uh, one that benefits us today. So, terrific. Thank, thank you, Tommy. Thank you, Annabelle. Thank you. Uh, thank you. Terrific presentation. Uh, that concludes our business meeting agenda for the day. Are there any closing comments at this time or motions relating to committee referrals from commissioners? Commissioner Cho. Um, I just wanted to make a real quick comment and thank our staff. Uh, as you all know, the commissioners over the last two or three months have uh, done a substantial amount of travel. Uh, obviously, our, our president was in the Scandinavian countries a few months ago. Uh, I was in Egypt and Japan and, and Korea. Uh, you know, uh, Commissioner Hasegawa and, and Fellum were also in Japan. Um, and you know, I, I, well, it's two things I wanted to say. Is one is it takes a tremendous amount of staff support uh, for us to be able to go on these trips, uh, especially when there's multiple commissioners going at the same time. And so, huge kudos to Melissa, uh, to Karen. I know Steve already called out Karen, but also Patty, Patty, and all our uh, advisors uh, who supported us on that trip. Secondly, I just wanted to say that there's a reason why the port continues to be invited on these delegations and missions is because we play such a crucial role in this region when it comes to economic development, but also the future of infrastructure, the future of sustainability, decarbonization, right? And while some of these things may not seem obvious at first, it's very clear, at least for me, when we go on these trips, how crucial it is that we are at the table. Um, and that also takes a tremendous amount of staff work uh, and research. And so, again, huge kudos to the staff uh, and also to all my colleagues who have taken time away from their families to, to, to represent the port. Also, I want to thank Steve uh, uh, and um, Sandy Kilroy, who also took time to travel with us and staff us. And so, uh, I do think that as we come out of this pandemic and we're looking at how to, what does the future hold uh, for our region and the world. Uh, the Port of Seattle is taking on a much larger role, both locally but also globally, as was demonstrated by our invitation to COP27 to announce this green shipping corridor. So great work all around. Very excited for what's to come and for future opportunities for us. That's it. Any other comments by Commissioners? Commissioner Hasegawa. I just wanted to say that it was a true privilege to be able to join the delegation to a trip to Japan where we gained some really meaningful insights about how we can, um, how Japan has achieved high-speed ground transportation, got to ride upon their Shinkansens and experience um, magnetic levitation or their maglev Shinkansen. We traveled two hours to watch it go by in about less than a second. <laughs> um, it, was, um, it was truly inspiring, and I think that um, as we project um, tremendous growth to our region and continued and growing demand, um, for mobility for people and for cargo around our region that we need to think very seriously outside of the context of our airport about how we are meeting 
um, effectively and efficiently moving people around. Um, and so that's a conversation that I was proud to be a part of on behalf of the Port of Seattle. It was also a true joy to be there and celebrating our sister port relationship where I had a wonderful um, uh, lunch alongside our, our colleagues at the Port of Seattle and the Port of Kobe. Um, with Director General Noritaka Hasegawa. So, of course, the Port Okobe is in such great hands. Um, <laughs> and where we got to preview the replacement story poll that will be going up. And so we will be returning to Kobe in a year and a half or two years um, for part two of um, what was truly a very um, meaningful um, experience. And just a point of personal privilege, if I may, um, Mr. Chair, is that um, I had a, a moment where we were um, inside the ambassador's residence as the Japanese-American elected official on that trip. Alongside Mayor Harrell, I had the privilege of being able to provide remarks. I thought of my, um, my great-grandfather who had crossed the ocean several times before he'd made the decision to uh, live in Seattle and start a new life. I thought of, my great, of, my, um, of his children who sat behind barbed wire fences in mud and horse barracks um, who had no liberties whatsoever, and I was truly struck by that the, um, the profoundness of that moment that I was there representing our country um, and this port um, in uh, in conversations between those two governments, and it filled me with such a tremendous sense of gratitude. And so I also want to echo my thanks to the staff who pulled together such a tremendously complicated yet meaningful um, excursion in conjunction with the Seattle Chamber, um, partners at the state, um, and partners at the city. Thank you so very much. Um, and it's truly a privilege to be able to sit with all of you today. Executive, uh, Commissioner Feldman, do you have any words? I, I think it's worth uh, piling on. Um, you know, Karin is, gives us protocol lessons before we go on any trip, but she staffed the mayor for like five years in Kobe. And when she stepped off that plane, I mean, from the moment, I mean, we were like at home and the level of facilitation was way beyond just like protocols. I mean, she knew all the players. She knew the place. She was even there when the earthquake was there and spent a couple of weeks of actually helping dig people out. Um, and, and but the level of acceptance we get about, you know, as having her as helping us be better ambassadors was just extraordinary. Uh, Executive Metric was talking about giving her a field, a field medal in the course of just reflecting on, in the course of doing this, what, what an incredibly valuable contribution she has, plus her you know, language skills, are, but her protocol and all that, it was just made me proud to be part of that delegation. So there's no, no limit to how much she deserves that. So I'm done. Executive Director Metric, final Thank comments? Yep. Uh, thanks, Commissioners. I just, as I started when I was mentioning responding to here we are in a snow event, I just wanted to mention on that is that our preparedness, you never know what it's going to be the next thing here at the port, you know, and here it is, the snow event. But I know our teams have been working and uh, uh, preparing themselves for this, and so, you know, we're ready for this and whatever should come our way going forward. So I want to recognize them, Lance and his team, but uh, the whole port and the preparedness across the port for events like this. That uh, this is a minor one, it looks like. I was just checking my phone to see how it's going to progress, but you never know when that's going to come, and that's the name of the game here in our operation. So I just want to recognize that. So thank you, Commissioners. Thank you. Hearing no further comments and having no further business, if there is no objection, we are adjourned at 326.